Hello everybody, and welcome back to Bond by Numbers. Today it's the exciting beginning of our three non-Bond film series. Coming on the back of our imagined James Bond film series, now Bond by Numbers is moving into its own non-Bond film series as we do every year. And by every, I mean two in a row. This is where Josh or Jeff says, Hi everybody, how you doing? It's nice to be with you today. Hey everybody! Sorry. Hi guys. I was just doing a nice uh, insert for Scott to, you know, if there's anything he wanted to add into that, it was a good edit point, that's all. And that's a good edit if, point. If that's what you want to call it, I think that's a great explanation for not having anything to say. I like it. I am excited for the next round of three non-bonds. Uh, I'm curious to see what picks uh, you know, we have in store for each other and what surprises that, m- that may entail. And um, maybe we'll discover some spy films that we never heard before. And maybe some of our listening audience will discover some spy films they haven't heard before. And Uh, this is the case for me. And I I guess maybe I'm just super uncultured like a really bad yogurt. Uh, But I didn't know Quiller. Uh, Neither did I, buddy. uh, Neither did I. The the Quiller Memorandum. uh, And I'm glad that I found it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, because I was trying to find something that would, you know, more or less be the same kind of feel of like a 60s Bond film. And boy, I, I... I guess I really kind of hit the jackpot, um, mm-hmm. especially with uh, certain people that are a part of the production, as we'll find out as we go on with the episode. So I'm very, uh, I'm very pleased with my <laughs> with my uh, with my pick for the non-bond, uh, and uh, here we go. Yeah, I'm Definitely. excited. You, you you made an inspired choice, my good man. <laughs> um, like like yourself, I didn't know anything about Quiller before I. Um, kind of followed your lead on it. And I'm really, really glad to have explored the story and the story of the story as well, because um, Mm. there's lots of neat little bits here with the production and the acting that we're going to get into, as we always do when we do a film review. Josh, any first uh, first notes or impressions before we launch into the world of Bond? Uh, No, not really. I'm excited to talk about this uh, film. I was uh, not familiar with it either. For some reason, I got this mixed up with another... uh, film that was directed by or produced by uh, Harry Saltzman actually and it had Michael Caine in it. Oh yes. It but, but I was one? thinking of the Ip Chris file and that's the one yeah, that's the well, one I was mixed up with. And and this and this is definitely seems to be uh, always mentioned in that conversation. Like the Quiller and Ip Chris cuz it's they're only a year apart I think and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if we look at if we look at the actual when they were released. So I could see why. <laughs> but uh, when I saw the pedigree to it I was like First of all, I was like, really, uh, uh, George Siegel, like from Just Shoot? Yeah, I know. Okay, I know. <laughs> that's cool. And it was, when I first watched this film, I was trying to wonder, okay, will I notice George Siegel, you know, right away if I saw him? And for uh, a moment, it took me to realize that the character that they introduced at the beginning at the uh, stadium, that oh. was actually George Siegel. I'm like, man, he was a good looking guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I was the same. I was like, that's George Siegel? Like, that's, I know. that's really? But then he started talking, and then I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's George Siegel. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, that's Jack Gallo from uh, you know from Just Shoot Me. Uh, who, if people who aren't familiar with the show, it was like a sitcom in the late '90s to like mid 2000s yep. with mm-hmm. George Siegel. He ran like a, a, ma- a fashion magazine. David Spade was his secretary. Uh, Laura San Guacamo was his daughter. Uh, yeah. Enrico Colantoni, who's a really good Canadian character actor, he was mm-hmm. on the show. Yep, and. Uh, Wendy Malick, who was like the the the, yep. the older fashion model, who was like a, mm-hmm. a contributing editor, uh, she was and really then, good on it. If you ever can find the sitcoms, uh, like if you ever find it in the reruns anywhere online or what have you, check this show out. It's really good, and George Siegel is really charming, really funny, but he's also really kind. Of, he plays a really kind of 
vacuous individual as well, and he does it quite well. Mm-hmm. He's also in. He also plays like a, a silly grandfather. In, oh yeah, uh, the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs. That's right. That Most was like recently. his last role, right? Before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was his last role, um, or or one of his. Mo- and it was he was on there for quite a few seasons, and he was he was hilarious. He was he was good. Yeah, I, I've only seen and a he's few passed too episodes. in the past couple of months, unfortunately. Yeah, just in the last um, three months, actually. So it's a really timely selection because we can mm-hmm. celebrate his career by looking at this story. Yeah. And uh, going back to is like, okay, so George Siegel, okay, that's cool. But I also saw the pedigree, as you mentioned. I mean, we have Harold Pinter. That's a name I was very ma- I was made familiar to in film studies when I did it in university. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, you also have Alec Guinness, who is always good. Yes, so, always I mean, good. And Max von Sydow was the added yeah. bonus. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and if anyone can play a Nazi, it's definitely Max von Sydow. And a very mm-hmm. elegant Nazi at that. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, it was interesting listening to uh, Von Saito talk about how he read the role because he was quite careful in an interview on set, which I, uh, I was able to see, uh, to talk about how it wasn't the Nazis, but instead like a different class, a more aristocratic yeah. Nazi. Uh, he, he Almost was really, like really... Russian in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, anyway, well, we'll, we'll even he says like I'm a gentle, I'm a German gentleman, right? There's yeah. <laughs> it seems to me that they weren't really, uh, they weren't really, they were hinting towards maybe not like a Nazi rhetoric, but more of like old Germany, like what the Nazis were trying to bring back, you know, without the whole racial stuff was the idea of the old Prussian Empire, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, Max von Sydow kind of captured that old kind of you know World War One Germany kind of feel that we were elegant gentlemen, you know, like our our Kaiser was cousin to your king of England, for example. Like it was just a matter of uh, trying to bring back the old strong Germany and not necessarily the Nazi Germany, although that was the mm-hmm. term that was used. And that's well, also some of the it. imagery and symbolism that they evoked as well in the film. But it, yeah, he definitely played it on an ambiguous angle. I think that was really smart on his part. Aye, for sure. Just before we get too far ahead of ourselves, guys, yeah, um, <laughs> like we always do. Let me, like we always bring it back, bringing it back. Let me thank everybody for joining us. We really hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Jeff's put in a lot of good work, and so have Josh and myself. And we're really excited to talk this one through and see if maybe if you like us weren't too familiar with the Quiller Memorandum, maybe you'll be a fan or a viewer at the at the end of this episode. If you have seen it, hope you enjoy the show. If you haven't, hit pause, go watch it, and come check us out later on. Lots has been going on in the Bond world, so why don't we just transition into the world of Bond, and then we'll get back into the the mainstay of our program. Happy 68th, Pierce. We missed that last time. We did, yeah, we missed that. As long as Pierce Brosnan didn't forget, we're okay. I'm sure he um, didn't. <laughs> and uh, and uh, a very happy birthday as well to uh, Pierce Brosnan's co-star in GoldenEye, Isabella Skorupko, who yesterday turned 51 years old. Beautiful woman, beautiful actor. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, and guys. And now, guys, I suppose for the uh, the big Amazon-shaped elephant in the room, let's talk about <laughs> Bezos's takeover of MGM and uh, what what we think Hello, that might Bezos. mean. What, what a that package! Might mean. Yeah, what a package indeed. <laughs> what a pachyderm. <laughs> yeah, pachyderm indeed. Yes, good one. Yeah. Good one. Um, you know, I've listened. I've listened to and read a bit on this 
And I, I don't think as long as the Broccoli's are still very much in control, creative which they control, are. which they are, mm. I, I don't see this running out of control and I don't see it becoming micromanaged to the point where we have spin-off series of A, B, and C. I don't see that happening yet because no. as long as Broccoli no. and Wilson are still holding the reins creatively yeah. I, I, and they want to, and they have said, haven't they? They want to keep it theatrical. They want Bond to remain a theatrical mm. uh, quant- quality. So, or uh, item. So, from yeah. what I've seen of how how like Bezos, Amazon, for example, handles intellectual properties, they seem to be pretty good at it so far. I mean, if you want to discount, you know, without remorse and Jack Ryan, that's a whole debatable situation. But yeah, sure. like so far, like Bezos hasn't had any in- interference. Like I know that the Lord of the Rings production that Amazon is doing in New Zealand right now, uh, which is apparently going to be based on like pre-Lord of the Rings, so, like, Cimmerillion kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, not go- they're not really interfering on that. They're letting that run its pace. Um, they have another production out way out in uh, Eastern Europe right now. Um, Central to uh, Eastern Europe, uh, The Wheel of Time, which is also having its own production company um, controlling it. So Bezos doesn't have a big interference um, aspect to him at all. Like, the only thing I would say to Amazon kind of lacks a little bit and when, but I don't think with Bond they'll they'll fall back on that. Is that uh, is is advertising? Because I remember when um, Bezos saved uh, the Expanse from uh, cancellation. Yeah, you you have spoken about that before. Yeah. I knew that that was something mm-hmm. you were fond of. That's right. Yeah, and unfortunately, like I I kind of conflicted about it because I don't like how Bezos treats his workers, but I I'm glad that he saved that show regardless. But at the same time, it was more for his own personal interest than anything. Um, and his own money, I suppose. But anyways, he, he, he didn't interfere with that. He let that production c- company do, do do what they wanted as well. And even allowed them more um, freedom than the sci-fi network did as, you know, on the storyline and the writing and the characters and stuff like that. So it's hard to say what, what Bond will become under the Amazon logo, under the Amazon banner, if you will. But I- I'm optimistic. I mean... I wouldn't mind if someone possibly said, well, you know, well, Amazon could, if they wanted to, make a James Bond series, and if they wanted to adapt the yeah, Fleming novels do, like in a serialistic okay fashion, like on a mm-hmm. television series, if it was yeah. a period set, set piece, in the sixties, okay yeah, yeah, set yeah, in the sixties exactly. or That's... something, like I think that would be kind of neat if they did the Fleming yeah. viewpoint of it, possibly. Uh, but a spinoffs, like I don't see Amazon jumping to do no. a Jinx spinoff. I don't see them oh, jumping. Oh, God, don't even say that. I mean, it was hinted about a long time ago. Yeah, 25 years ago, maybe. Yeah, or 20, maybe they'll do a Felix Leiter series, you know, from his perspective or something. Oh, well, okay. But who knows? Let's bring Falco back. Falco. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Michael, Ma- Michael Madsen. <laughs> I was what thinking, like, what, Didius Falco? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's later on in this... The Huh? <laughs> the Paula files, Jeff. You, you're on my wavelength, buddy. Because later right? this later this season, we <laughs> we have one of our what ifs will be dedicated to spinoffs, and that that might be a lot of fun. That you know, oh, now, that, now that we're in a now that we're in a world where we could oh, yeah, potentially have have spinoffs, this this will be a fun what if coming later in the season, and maybe Paula will get her her due treatment yeah. at that time, or maybe my Bones esque uh, detective serial with. Um, J.W. Pepper and Solitaire solving mysteries from their alligator farm. That's wow. That, yeah, I want that well, to happen. Well, look, guys, if uh, if we can use that as a little segue into this next bit, um, Solitaire will have time how. on her hands. Yes. Well, Solitaire will have time on her hands now because she was oh, okay. beaten in the girls' bond bracket that uh, 
that the wonderful Donnie at Quantum eh? of History. Oh, yeah, it's going to be going on for weeks, yeah. yeah. And Pam Bouvier also got knocked out. Sad times. Domino Domino made quick work of Pam. I think she won by like, I don't know, something like 70 to 30%, something in that neighborhood. And, um, yeah. And, yeah. And the other one, Solitaire's gone away. Factor alone. She's just been around for so long, Domino, right? So, no, if it was Kim Basinger's Domino, I would probably have an argument with that, but. Um, yeah, but good, also good stuff over going on yeah. over there. Um, also looking at the box office projections, like how good No Time to Die is going to do once it gets released. We know right now that that the box office in Hollywood has come back like 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 nothing else. Like for example, the opening, the previous opening weekend uh, was really good for film. Like a, a very small, like uh, not independent, but a small Hollywood film, a horror film, A Quiet Place Two, like destroyed oh. the box office, and it also destroyed uh, the the Disney offering, the Cr- Cruella oh, film yeah. as well. Uh, and yeah. now we have upcoming, you know like uh black right. widow like in a week or two that'll be the next big disney marvel release so it might look good for bond to come in, in the fall when no time to die mm-hmm. comes out i think a lot of people really want to get back into the theaters get back to the normalcy of life and that's one of the ways to do it is go to see a movie with a friend or girlfriend what have you i'm anticipating that uh, no time to die will have really good box office that's my projection anyway yeah i mean it, it, it's an easy it's an easy outcome to prognosticate josh but i think you're absolutely right no Time to Die is, is going to set some pretty pretty outstanding records in the fall, so long as things continue to plateau and get better with vaccination and people's confidence yeah. in returning to society, you know, continues to, to move up slowly. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we know there's lots of people out there still concerned and, and still worried about, about what's going to happen. So I wouldn't be surprised to see shortly after it, definitely by Christmas, no time to die being available on the streaming service. I don't think it's going to be like, nah, I don't think it's going to take long before Bezos gets it up. No, there, or I his still crew. have, they're still debating right now in regarding like uh, black widow, for example, like that's going to have a theatrical release in July, but there's, it might also be on a streaming service very quickly on, on D plus mm-hmm. so that you can download it. But I think you have to pay for it at the same time. Yeah. probably Kind of like what, what they had to do with Mulan. Um, oh, yeah. when, when that film came out, as controversial as that film was, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we could go into more detail with these subjects, but um, there are other podcasts that do a much better and a more colorful job of that. <laughs> We're here to talk about <laughs> film and the Quiller Memorandum and to launch our three non-Bond series. So guys, if there's nothing else with the world of Bond, why don't we just get straight to the Quiller Memorandum? There's a, a memo coming through your smartphones right now that says it's time to move. So Rip off that ticker tape and report to HQ. All right. Which is the Euro building in Berlin, by the way. Yeah. I saw on a website saying that maybe that's why they had so many Mercedes in the as mm-hmm. a commercial. No, seriously, I mean it's a pretty good commercial. I mean, obviously, we all know Mercedes is a is a, a German, uh, a very uh, well-to-do German make of automobile. But also, it's not ironic that when they show that it was, uh, I think it was a fairly new building at Jack, the time too. Not not the past. Yeah. So, so there was there was definitely some product placement going on or something. For sure. Yeah. I also so like how it was their their base. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh, 
All right, so Double uh, O Chapman, this has been your selection from the start. We are delighted mm. to be running sidecar to your Batmobile here, mm. or maybe <laughs> maybe uh, yellow Citroen sure. C2 to the DB5. Much better analogy. Yes, yeah. I, I like that. I like that. The I don't want to be like Burt Ward in the cool. sidecar there. Yeah, okay, right. All right. Well, over to you, pal. Well, uh, the cooler memorandum, I was trying to rack my brain around uh, a decent... Uh, film that might be similar to the genre of Bond films and, and hopefully maybe around the same time frame as like, you know, 60s or 70s espionage films. And I just, I literally stumbled upon the Quiller Memorandum. I was like, what is this? Uh, and uh, and I was like, okay, well, this seems to be exactly what I was looking for. And I was like, George Siegel? I'm like, I don't know. That's interesting. I'm like, well, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to go a bit through a bit of the summary uh, of, of the plot. And uh, we'll go from there and just sort of just discuss some little nuggets here and there of the production and uh, overall feel and all that kind of stuff as we normally do with uh, reviewing films. Fantastic. Sounds good to me. Yeah, man. Okay. So the the film starts off in Berlin, and basically uh, we see a a man walking along a deserted street in Berlin, and uh, he enters. Basically, it's uh, he's walking down like a dimly lit street, and uh, you know there's some kind of ominous, slightly uh, European music going on, and then he gets into a phone booth and he's shot by an unseen assailant. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he's trying to make a call, so that all it, it, it seems very sort of um, almost cliche, but it's done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, it, it cuts to uh, two uh, British gentlemen discussing over a very nice uh, lunch with uh, you know in their uh, their Sunday best with their medals and all that, discussing uh, what just happened um, and uh, and how this is the second agent that. Uh, has died in regarding this assignment, so they had to bring in the big guns. They mentioned they have to bring in Quiller, who I, I was saying this to Josh. If this was like a call center, this is where they'd have to escalate to the TL, and I guess Quiller would be like the the TL or the escalation point. Exactly. And they were get and they were going to get him to go in and and um, and 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 finish the assignment as they were thinking. What an amazing analogy, <laughs> right? I know, eh? yeah. <laughs> but but basically they figured this is an important enough mission. Like, look, they already lost two guys. Let's let's get this done and let's do this right. Uh, so then it cuts to um, a scene in in Berlin. Uh, we're at the uh, the Olympia Stadium, and it shows uh, a gentleman, and he's sitting in the the amphitheater there. And he's eating a sandwich, and then you see a young man in a suit come up behind him, and uh, and they talk, and it's it's George Siegel, who again I was very I couldn't even believe it was George Siegel when I saw him, and then they had their as with a lot of spies, what they do is they kind of have their sort of code phrase to make sure you are who you are because they've never met each other, so they had their little code phrase about a brand of cigarettes, and uh, and going from there they kind of do a little bit of a debrief and kind of size each other up. And then they get into uh, the explanation of what needs to be done. And basically, um, Paul, which is um, Alec Guinness's name, explains the situation and what's happened in regarding uh, two assets being killed and uh, that they need to look into um, a, a new potential neo-Nazi organization called Phoenix and uh, they need to find the headquarters. And what's happened is two uh, British agents have died recently trying to find this information out. 
In a sense, though, isn't it, isn't it interesting how, although, I mean, the strokes are different, you get this similar sort of thing going on a couple of years later in Live and Let Die with the two British agents, mm. uh, yeah. Baines and the other fellow who mm. are killed, you know. It's just a neat little way to start, isn't it? Getting a third guy in because the first yeah. two failed. That's true. Uh, it, it, exactly. And one thing I, I must say is that I really do, I think my favorite parts of the entire film are the interactions between... Uh, Quiller and Pole, or, or Siegel and, and Alec Guinness. Um, and I like Alec Guinness's character because he's almost like aloof and and, uh, and and very sort of, he's a quagmire. And he almost kind of plays dumb and, oh, not dumb, but he just he just has a sort of almost like an aloofness to him. And uh, I just like how he how he plays how he plays the character. But, you know, he's a lot smarter than he is. Like, I, I feel when I watch him like this is really smiley, yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, after after they have that talk in the uh, in the Olympia Stadium, it cuts to Quiller uh, leaving his hotel. And then he basically uh, he knows that he's being followed and um, he basically he he confronts him. And he wants to figure out, he wants to make sure, like, is this the enemy or what's going on? So, like, he basically, he loses the tail, follows him, and then confronts him. And then, you know, he, again, they do the whole size up. And then after he finds out he's on his side, uh, he gets the guy, he gives him the information from the uh, the previous agent that died. And then he goes, and now he's going to retrace the steps. And so, since he has physical uh, intel, 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 like actual pieces of information, like uh, that they found on his body, like uh, newspaper article and uh, a ticket and all that kind of stuff. He's retracing his steps, um, and so the first thing we see is that we see uh, Quiller go to the first spot. So he goes to a bowling alley, and and uh, and what's interesting here is I like how Siegel plays Quiller, and you can tell it's uh, is that he he has little sort of personas as he goes he's always being someone different because obviously he's not going to say hey by the way i'm a spy what's up i just want to see how your uh, secret nazi organization is doing ask me how so he's pretending that he uh you know he's looking into purchasing a bowling alley and uh, he's talking about that and he's like oh yeah my friend was here jones and oh no i don't know who he is and you can tell that they both know what's going on uh, and then he goes to the next location, which is the swimming pool. He's just standing there sort of watching, and then he gets confronted by someone. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm a coach. You know, I'm just watching. He's like, he can't watch. He's like, oh, okay. Same kind of thing, sizing each other up. Uh, and then he goes to the next location uh, that uh, the spy, uh, uh, whose name was the, the most recent spy to have been killed at the beginning of the film. His name was Kenneth Lindsay Jones. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, anyway, so the next location was the swimming pool, and and this is where he was he was then asked to leave because he was just standing there and because of the ticket they find in the pockets of of uh, exactly right? that's that's correct yes exactly and then um, once he's uh, basically kicked out for loitering <laughs> <laughs> um, he then goes to the uh, the last place which was uh, actually a school. Um, and so he goes to a a school. It's a very nice looking school. It looks yeah, pretty new. Very like Art Deco or, or some yeah. sort of. I yeah. probably got the type of architecture wrong, but if you've been at the university that I went to, Carleton University in Ottawa, I could easily imagine that being like on the Carleton University campus. Just the yeah, way that for looks. sure. I, I I absolutely agree with you. Now that I, now that you say that, that's I can totally see that. But it also shows um, like the rebuild Berlin after the war too, right? Like you yep, wouldn't have buildings exactly. like that back in Nazi that Germany. That looked super right? modern for yes. the time. Like it, you know, like very sixties. It didn't look like it was like 
old school, you know, German architecture or, uh, you know. And, and keep in mind, too, that the film was filmed, uh, the film was shot in West Berlin. Yes, that's correct. Yes. And so he, he goes to the school and he's pretending to be a reporter for, I think it was the Philadelphia something journal. I can't remember now what it is. And so he goes to the headmistress and he's just talking about, oh, you know, um, I was told about uh, a gentleman who used to work here. I'm writing an article. And then um, basically the headmistress uh, brings him to an English teacher who knew uh, of the teacher. And then he speaks to her, which is, and this is um, the, I guess, the femme fatale, um, <laughs> the actress uh, Santa, uh, Santa Burger. Inga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yes, her character's name was Inga Lint, like the chocolate, spelled the same. Mm-hmm. Ah, but she's um, not quite so sweet. Mm. No. Or, is she, or is she? Or is she? Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll discuss it later. And, uh, and basically, you know, so he tries to, again, he's, uh, Quiller is very charismatic and he, uh, and what I like, this is one thing I really do like about the Quiller, Quiller's character and how, how, um, uh, Siegel plays him is that he's, he's like seamless with, um, cover stories. Like you could tell that he is a seasoned agent of wherever he's from, and you could see why how he is sort of the escalation point because he's seamless with um, with cover story and just sort of going with the flow. Like very good at improv, I guess. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have uh, to pick he, your you brain about that, though, Jeff. Oh, you don't think so? Okay. No, 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 no. Not, I'm not saying I don't think so. But when we talk about the acting and and maybe the way the story's written for the characters, I'm I'm gonna want to pick your brain about that a little bit more because sure, because Seagull to me seems to almost overplay the the sort of um the fakery of, of himself it's he, yeah you're it's right. really weird he does in some in, in some parts he does i agree with you but we could talk I about agree. whether that is him putting on like he did in the bowling alley or the pool putting on that sort of persona of you know who i am and i know who i am but let's just pretend because i'm trying to flush you out let's just pretend that i'm yeah. trying to buy a bowling alley or let's just pretend that i'm a fucking coach for a university let's just pretend yeah. you know Exactly, exactly. So he talks to he talks to her at the school, and then he basically uh, gives her a ride home, and uh, kind of you know tries to put his foot in the door and says, "Oh, hey, you know your suitcase seems rather heavy. Can I come upstairs?" And then they talk a little bit more, and then he's trying to get a little more inform- pumper for information, but <laughs> uh, but not the real pump yet. No, not yet. Uh, you know, and he's just he's doing you know, and so he's just trying to like slowly kind of you know assess the situation, see you know is she a good guy? Is she a bad guy? Does she actually know anything? That kind of stuff, uh, which uh, you know it. it uh, I think he does a good job of it. I like his character. I like how he talks. He's very smooth and, you know, debonair and all that kind of whatever. He, he's good. Uh, anyway, so when he leaves, he notices that he's being followed. And so he he walks past his Porsche, which we'll get into later because it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, though it, it seems rather dirty because if you look at the, at that scene, like, it definitely needs a wash. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and though he, he walks past and then he's seeing the guy. Then he actually comes up, walks up and confronts him. And he just starts, you know, just talking to the guy very bluntly and loudly in German. And then while he's talking to the guy, and the guy's saying, like, oh, I'm not following you. As I mean, I, my German is very bad, but that's I'm going by body language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then three other guys basically surround Quiller. And they're like, basically, you know, he's like, get out of here. What are you doing? Kind of thing. 
And so basically, I think that whole scene, which was really good, because we, we kind of figured that he was playing a character like, oh, I'm American. I, I, I Even though I'm in Germany, I didn't bother to learn the language. I'm a brash I'm American a, tourist. I'm a brash American. Arrogant, yeah. Mm. But then you could tell, that, like, and I'll be honest, I don't know how good his German was, but he was, but obviously it was seamless the way he was talking. And you could tell that he, there was a, there was a menace to how he's talking and there was, it, he was threatening. And that was one of the only times in the entire film that he actually was, like, threatening. So mm. I liked that because you could see and that's why I like the character because he plays this kind of like oh ho-hum like he's you know but when it comes to the push comes to shove I have a feeling he could probably maybe do some damage but anyway so he, you know when he actually confronted them and and uh, you know um, played their you know he he went and spoke to them in that sense kind of called their bluff and then when he went into the car and drove away that was that was an interesting uh, scene and uh, I like that. So basically, he goes to his hotel, and uh, when he's going to the hotel, he gets uh, he bumped he gets bumped into by uh, a porter um, with a suitcase, and uh, and then he um, basically he drives off again in the Porsche, and um, he's being followed, and he knows he's being followed. So and then a car chase ensues, which is actually I think it's a very very well shot car chase. Yes. Also the sound. It's amazing. Sound design is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I was, it's, I was thinking, I was like, wow. Throughout the film, the sound <laughs> design is good. one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, it's very. Well I was reminded a little bit of uh, Stephen McQueen in uh, Bullet, like how they, well, th- how they, like you know, they, yeah. put, they, they must have put the muff, the mic in the muffler for that one too, or something. Yeah, out of the edge, because I was gonna say, like, man, the sound is very good, and uh, um, and that's a nice Porsche there. It's a Porsche. Uh, I have the, I have the specs. Uh, it is a. A Porsche 356 B Cabriolet 1962. Nice one. Very, very For all nice. those auto enthusiasts out there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so what's interesting is so as as he's trying to lose, uh, you know, the tail and, you know, the, the, uh, he's doing a good job, you know, trying to lose them all that kind of stuff and, and drive. Uh, and then slowly you notice that he's starting to get a little woozy. And, uh, and then eventually he kind of just... Uh, becomes paralyzed, but the car is still running, and then the 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 people that were following him actually just push him over to the passenger seat and then drive away, which I kind of liked. I kind of liked that. That was a very sort of seamless, like we got him, and yeah. uh, and basically they take him uh, to their lair, and this would be the um, the the quote unquote neo Nazis that they're talking about, or what they say without saying that, are neo-Nazis, which we find out is uh, Phoenix. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're meant, we're meant to believe that Quiller got himself uh, needled or injected when the three yes, of them sorry. came upon I, him I and, and spoke German, right? Because of the, brief, right? because of the, the briefcase, briefcase yeah. rubbed and against And the briefcase, yeah. yeah. Classic KGB. Yeah, exactly, like the ricin <laughs> kind of thing, right, with the umbrella exactly. and stuff. Yeah, the yeah. umbrella, exactly. Uh, yes, and, and thank you for pointing that out, Scott. So, basically, yeah. Um, he wakes up in a dilapidated mansion, uh, surrounded by him. And what's interesting is when he wakes up, he notices all the similar characters that he'd seen following him previously, including the porter that, that actually poked him. And then he is introduced to a German aristocrat named October. 
and uh, cooler. And this is I, I this is again one of my favorite parts of the film is is sort of the the interrogation between Sido uh, uh, and and Siegel um, is sort of they're, they're going back and forth. And I, I feel that I don't know what you guys think about this, but I feel like. Uh, Quiller does a really good job of sort of avoiding the answers up up until the point where obviously he's given the truth serum, and even that he doesn't give too much away. Mm-hmm. What what do you guys think of that? Uh, that uh, particular sequence uh, with the interrogation was was re- was really well done as a whole. Like that's one of the most intense scenes of the movie. Yeah, bar an, a scene that happens later on, which I think is Hitchcockian and brilliant. But. Um, yeah, that was a very good sequence. I like the interrogation. I have issues that I want to discuss about how it ended up, but overall, uh, that was a really good scene and very well acted. Uh, Siegel and Valen Saito were on the same level there. Like, they did a really good yes. job. Um, yep. Saito is, like, menacing, but you can't help being charmed by the guy. Like, he's just... Exactly. He, he does dapper villainy very well. Yeah, mm-hmm. the only thing that I... I the only thing that I... Uh... In regarding Sido, that I I don't believe in in regarding his character is his hair. Yeah, because uh, his blonde Buffon. hair. Yeah, it's Buffon. Buffon. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just well, I that was like sixty six, so he could still have some of his blonde hair because well, I remember the seven. I mean, he's only thirty seven, yeah. and I'm like, what? he looked well to me. He is Swedish. He is Swedish though, and the thing is, like, no, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you look at his face and stuff, like he just has that kind of face, and. I never see. I mean, I've seen the Seven Seals, so I know when right. he played a knight back in that Bergman film, along before mm-hmm. then. Like, I know that was black and white, so I don't know what color his hair was, but I'm assuming it was probably blonde. Uh, well, probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I'm his just eyes, saying, though, it's, man. It's, but. Well, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I like to think of. Uh, I was saying this to Josh. Uh, I like to call Sida uh, the Swedish Christopher Plummer. You said that, and I yeah. said, or is Christopher, or, or is, is Christopher Sy- Plummer the, the Canadian von the Canadian Max von Sido exactly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, okay, sorry. Um, getting back on track in regarding uh, the scene. So basically, because uh, Quiller is is not answering the questions that. Uh, October is asking. They eventually give him the truth serum. Uh, Quiller does his best to only review a few minor details. And basically he decides uh, to spare his life. Um, basically, I think it's more or less so they can follow him and and and, and basically see if they can get more information to see uh, what, what he's up to and where their base is, basically. Because it's one of those things where obviously Quiller's job is to figure out is to finish the assignment and what's going on with this new sort of uh, Phoenix being sort of like obviously like a, a new German, either whether it's a, a like a, a neo-Nazi a new German organization Reich. or a new German Reich, but obviously with the name Phoenix, it's rising from the ashes of the old Germany being a new Germany, but we don't know what that is. So anyways. Exactly. Um, and they also call him Reichsfuhrer, like October's character. That's right. He's referred to as yeah. Reichsfuhrer by his men. Which is uh, which is a common term that was used in Nazi Germany. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so basically, after the, they drug him again, and then he wakes up beside a river. Uh, he and then he wobbles to a taxi, and he's speaking to the taxi driver. And then the taxi driver gets out, and then he steals a taxi. And basically, uh, he also seems to evade um, <laughs> more tales. Uh, then he just goes to a dilapidated uh, hotel, mm-hmm. uh, so he doesn't go back to his main hotel, obviously. 
and uh, he calls Inga from there, which is, I, I don't really agree with him doing that. I, I don't like that. I think that's stupid. I mean, if he's such a good spy, why would the first thing he do, he does is call her and he's kind of out of sorts. But again, maybe that's the drugs talking. Maybe that's just Could sort be. of the anxiety. Like, is that just a human... Is that just the human character of him? But I'm just surprised. And this is also the moment where they plug in the uh, the theme song for the movie, yeah. Wednesday's yes. Child. Uh, that's right, that which theme. is good. Uh, I like that I like that song. Uh, and then, so basically Matt in the Monroe. morning... Yeah, Always good for right. John Barry and a spy movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday's Child is a child of woe. Wednesday's child cries alone, I know. Uh, so basically, yeah, he talks, he wants to meet Inga, blah, blah, blah. But she's like, not now. So then, you know, in the morning, um, he goes, he rents a car. And when he gets in the car, um, he gets uh, confronted with an agent. Uh, which is an agent of Paul's, and, the, and basically they're like, hey, we need you to figure out what's going on. We haven't heard from you what's going on. So then uh, he goes and drives and meets with, with, with Paul. Sorry, not Paul. And uh, and this is probably one of my uh, favorite scenes in the film is when he is basically, it's almost like he's hungover, and he's at breakfast with um, with Paul. And uh, again, with uh, Alec Guinness and the way he plays his character, he's very sort of like... Um, I don't know how, how would you describe his character like he kind of he just plays with him he's like yeah like there's that part where he's like and then he tried to kill me he's like and did he you know it's like it's like fuck off like obviously not <laughs> you know and i like that and he's sipping the coffee i think he just knows you know. the condition that seagull is in because like imagine yeah. like and he likes it because he's like hung over and he, it's kind of like yeah i like it i know yeah he's like look at me i got my dapper dan and my hair or whatever it is my bro cream and uh, you know, I'm sipping my coffee. I got my suit on. You look like shit. Cause you, you? Cause, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I look like shit because I'm wearing the clothes I had before. I was just, you know, tortured by some neo Nazis. My my knees all scraped and up from a needle. Leave me alone. Imagine having you know? a job like Quiller does, and then she yeah. has to show up and listen to a very, very uh, condescending, per- condescending, perspicacious. Uh, yeah, Alec on how to be and, a spy. And have to pay you know, like, attention to him. <laughs> yeah, like, that is not an ideal scenario. At all. Like, <laughs> can I just finish my black coffee and, and then and then you go into like how to spy? Hello, you asked me to do your job because you guys can't do it. Eat some and more. You're lecturing. Me. Yeah, <laughs> have another. Yeah, why don't you just <laughs> eat the scones instead of showing me how to spy with scones? But also that being said, I really actually enjoyed the little description of two opposing armies in a fog, and you can't be too far to one side, otherwise you'll give away. The, the the position of either so you're really sort of and it really does sort of describe um, the Cold War and and and, and um, sort of the East and West Berlin and, and how that works so I really actually really enjoyed that that dialogue and that and that that situation it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole film also in the fog you can destroy your own army too by accident so be careful yeah that's true <laughs> yeah that, no that's 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 a good point Josh um and so basically, once uh, after that, then he goes and then he does eventually meet up with uh, Inga again. And then he actually decides to change the story, tells her, I'm not really a reporter, I'm an investigator. And then he's talking about how he's like actually investigating these uh, these people, you know. And then, of course, you know, they have sex and then they have some pillow talk. And then she 
uh, reveals that she might know someone who might know the location because apparently they were friends of her father's and then he's kind of oh that's interesting blah 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 and um, so then they're going to go meet this friend who might know the information they go back to the uh, one of the locations previously which is the swimming pool and now is empty for some reason of course when he confronts him he's like oh but I don't know it but I know someone that might know <laughs> of course mm-hmm. and then Cryptic when he, and then when they meet that contact um, it's actually the headmistress <laughs> and of course the headmistress is like well I might know someone and but I, I kind of know the location maybe and like, where is the location oh it's just behind you it's this house and in that scene that's the exact same scene from the opening where you originally see Kenneth Lindsay Jones the late spy who was shot in the phone booth. So it's all kind of coming to a head. Um, Quiller basically says, like, okay, look, I I have to go check this out. You guys stay here. And uh, and so he decides to go. And uh, it's sort of on his own accord. He's going to go, quote-unquote, infiltrate. And so he does his best to, you know, jump over the fence and go through the crack in the wall of the dilapidated house. Of course, then he is... um, He's found, and again, by all the the same people he saw before, and then he's super dejected, um, and (laughs) he gets led back into the the same room where he was interrogated before by October, and they have a conversation. Then he leads him into the basement, which, lo and behold, uh, Inga is held captive, and uh, and this is a, a really great scene, a really great dialogue. Uh, really well filmed. I think this is, again, also one of my favorite scenes in the film. I, would you guys have anything to add to that? Like, What do you guys think of of, uh, of this scene? It's a, it's a fantastic sequence in terms of like uh, direction and sound design and uh, score as well as um, uh, and, and even characterization to an extent and to an extent. the building of suspense. Like, It's very well done and um, it's great just to just to give you you know the TLDR on that. It's really good, and uh, we'll we'll dive into that, especially when it comes to not just story, but I would say atmosphere as well. Yeah, exactly. So basically, at this point, when they're in the basement, uh, and uh, Quiller is confronted again by all these by all the the Phoenix people, and then also having Inga there uh, held captive. Uh, October plays up on this. He plays the fact that there was a recording and on and what he uh, divulged being drugged with the truth serum. Uh, and then, of course, October's trying to interrogate Inga and play up uh, on Inga being the weakness for Quiller here. Uh, and then she al- and then she also says though that she doesn't understand English. And so and then October is trying to play up on that to see like he's saying things that he's trying to see if there's any kind of tell that she does, which is also good anyway. So then October t- says, "Look, I'll let you go. You guys can survive as long as you tell me the information I want to know. Where's your base? And I'll give you till dawn. And if you don't get back to me, you die and she dies." Uh, Quiller leaves, and um, not exactly basically. alone. No, he gets he's followed. He's trying to, and then he tries to make a run for it, uh, and leads away some of the men that follow the train where he's he pretends to go on, and then he comes down, notices like half the men didn't follow him, and so he walks back dejected. He goes into a hotel, and uh, and basically he uses the side door of the hotel, and 
slips out, goes into the garage, and uh, where his car is. And then, as he was he was going to try and make a getaway, and notices that uh, he was checking. I mean, he's smart. He was checking for stuff, and then he notices. Wait a second. There's a there's a, a loose wire. Looks underneath. His car is strapped with the bomb. He actually removes the bomb, but keeps it going. And then he makes it so the bomb explodes on the car. But he's He's obviously safe, so then the rest of the people that are waiting for him think he died in the car bomb. And then he uh, runs, well, walks <laughs> to the, the the base in the Mercedes Benz. What's the name of the building? The Europa Center, I think? Yeah. And he goes in and uh, basically he gets up to the, the top floor there and advises that... Uh, well, he's alive, and uh, and what's and he gives a slight debrief. Uh, Paul makes his entrance in a nice, you know, house coat because he was asleep, and then they have another little sort of emasculating conversation. And once he tells Paul the information, and then Paul uh, passes this information on to another team, they get a call saying they they caught everyone, and and they went. Quiller asks, well, when you say everyone, did you get the girl? And they're like, no, there was no girl. He's like, oh, well, that's not everyone. What's going on? Uh, And so then he eventually um, goes back to uh, confront her at the classroom. Yeah, And she said, oh, they let me go. He had told her a phone number to call. And she's like, yeah, I called it, but it didn't work. And uh, then he says, "Uh, did you get all of them? She's like, this is the interesting line is when he's like, well, they got most of them. Yeah. Clearly not all of them. Exactly. And this is where he basically is like, well, you're obviously one of them. Or something to that effect, <laughs> you know? And then the, the last scene uh, of, of the film is when he's walking away, and it's kind of like it's slowly pulling out, and then he, he bumps into the headmistress, and the headmistress is, like, frightened, and she just sort of, like, does a double do, does a double take. And, yeah, and startled, for sure. St- startled, for sure. And then it's sort of a, um, a long pull-out shot of the school campus. And then him walking away with, like, the Peanuts music playing. Do-do-do. Yeah, the Peanuts music. <laughs> yes. But that's, that's an interestingly composed shot at the end, because you've got all the kids walking yes. in lines that are quite regimented, mm. which is made, Fascist. of course, for, for us to think yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's also training think, the future youth of Germany. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also important that that we recognize that this was kind of set up for us quite easily at the beginning if we cared to pay attention to it or if I suppose to pay attention. One of these things is like it's a retrospect drop because right. yep. Steiner who was the Nazi war criminal worked at that school. And yes. that's where he, you know, that's the guy Jones was was on to. And so yes. it's all kind of foreshadowed for us there that this school is dirty business. But, and that Steiner wasn't just the sort of isolated odd duck in that staff room, you know. But for some reason, we're pulled into the story because we trust the headmistress for some reason. We trust Inga because the narrative seems like it wants us to trust her, right? Exactly. So we get shamalianed at the end of the movie, basically. <laughs> yeah. Basically, well, not Shemalian. Yeah. That would be like if the reveal was, oh, Inga was Ava Braun all along or something like that. <laughs> a, a werewolf. Well, whatever. Werewolf. You know what I mean. You know a what werewolf, I mean. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah. there are all sorts of ways that the film and I the filmmakers um, try to make Inga the the very obvious love soft innocent needs rescued figure and yeah. i mean i mean she's absolutely 
bathed in filters throughout this movie. Yes. Like, oh yeah. Soft it's filter. Crazy. It's, it's really yeah, crazy it looks stuff. Like yeah. Every, every shot of her is like the dream filter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, well, let's get into it then. I mean, do, should we talk a bit about the production and some of the features yeah, behind that before let's we do, do before we do sure. our scoring? Okay, cool. Nineteen sixty-six. Yeah. yeah. Now the director Michael Anderson, uh, he is best known for directing the Dam Busters, as well oh, as right. a yes. famous sci-fi film, one of the first sci-fi films to win an Oscar, yeah. Logan's Run. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is like he was not young when he did that film. Like he he died at ninety-eight. I, he was born in like nineteen twenty. Nineteen twenty. So it's interesting. Like a. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just assuming here, but like, it's interesting to see a a, a, a man at the age of 56 in the 70s uh, do like a science fiction film like that. Yeah, it, yeah. it comes from an interesting pedigree. Like his great aunt was uh, Mary Anderson uh, from Kentucky, actually, and she was one of the first big like a, a Shakespearean American actresses. And there's a whole oh. theater in Louisville, Kentucky, that's like dedicated in her name. Oh, that's mm. cool. Yeah. Neat. Um, so I'll read a couple of uh, critical reviews. So, uh, like, it wasn't really, it wasn't really well reviewed. There wasn't a lot of great reviews. It, it did get nominated for a few BAFTAs, but overall, like, <laughs> some of the contemporary reviews were not too kind. Mm. Um, there was one uh, from the New York Times. Uh, it was a Bosley Crowther. Oh, mm-hmm. Bosley. Good old Bosley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can be, be tardy. He can be snarky. That yeah. guy. Well, he. Yeah. Well, I'll just. I'll read you the first. <laughs> We're laughing. <laughs> We're laughing here. because we, you know, we remember, and I'm sure our listeners will too, if uh, if they recall our first season series where we were our first series on all the Bond films, we used a lot of Bosley Crowther reviews yeah. when we were going yeah. through the Bond films. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the the first the first line of his review, and this so this this review was from December sixteenth, nineteen sixty six. If you've got any spying to be done in Berlin, don't send George Siegel to do the job, <laughs> <laughs> or rather, don't send the pudding headed fellow that George that Mister Siegel plays in the Cooler Memorandum, uh, which came to the Beekman yesterday. He's the sort of secret agent who, on being assigned to snoop around Berlin in search of the hidden headquarters of a neo-Nazi group, goes straight to the nearest pretty female. One no one would ever suspect of being tied with the neo-Nazis, but of course, who is? <laughs> that is, no one who would ever suspect it, except everyone in the audience, who has ever seen a hackneyed <laughs> spy picture, which this one turns out to be. And then after this unwitting fellow has been betrayed once by the girl and badly beaten up by the villains who want to find out where his headquarters are, he allows his wide-eyed Delilah to let him again be the, uh, let him again to the hangout of the gang. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then there's the, the main one. Uh, he's like, uh, clearly the Quiller memorandum is a claptrap done up in a style with a, with a musical score by John Barry that might lead you to think it is art, but don't let it fool you for one minute. Uh, nor Mr. Siegel, nor Santa Berger as the girl. The whole thing, including these two actors, is a hollow as a shell 
On the bill with it, however, is a cute little animated cartoon called The Top, which illustrates the moral that you should never hope to achieve success by climbing it. Anyways, he, he goes into talking about the short that came with the Yeah, film. which is oh, obviously Bob better. <laughs> <laughs> Although he, oh. he did he did give uh, props to Barry's score, uh, basically singling Just it out as the future that's worth, yeah. uh, that's worth remembering. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good for Barry. He got he got the, he got the nod there for sure. Um, another thing that Anderson directed too is actually uh, he directed 1984. The yes, that's right. Yeah, box office wise though, guys. Oh no, like, it didn't do well at all. Two, it got back in rentals, and by rentals, yeah, I don't mean exactly. I don't mean video Years rentals. Later. It, what, what they mean is like theaters being able to like second or I think it's like third run or fourth run theaters. They're able to like get copies of like the reels and. And and uh, you know show it on cheap. That's where it, it made its money was from like the smaller theaters. Yeah, it, it almost didn't make <laughs> the money back. Uh, and uh, and it did get BAFTA nominations for art direction, film editing, yeah, screenplay. That's right, it did. Yeah. Um, and uh, like so, it was filmed in, in Pinewood Studios and on location in, in West Berlin. Um, I, I like that aspect. That was a really good show oh, yeah. to see, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it it was over budget, but then they had actually done a lot of cutting as well. But uh, and uh, there was also uh, it looks like um, f- from what I read, um, Ella Guinness and Saito both really enjoyed the script as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys if there's any if you guys have any of those nuggets from from well Saito. Right, he is like he worked with Bergman, who is a well-known Swedish playwright. In, in, right. in addition to being an a, a director, mm-hmm. and so I can see a, a man like uh, Saito, who probably has a great appreciation for the theater, realizing, you know, I want to work with Harold Pinter, so mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't mind working with Alec Guinness. You know, I can definitely see that collaboration occurring on, on that basis. I, all the actors were drawn to the Harold Pinter script, and yeah, they all they all said really nice things about it. But when and if you want to talk about Pinter, I've got some stuff I can throw in there. Sure, yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. Yeah, but uh, George Siegel, though, uh, the guy like he started out like with comedy, uh, really young in his career. Uh, as I was going to say, like he is a Russian Jew on both sides. But he was very also close to his community as well. He's one of the first actors to uh, to have his Jewish name as his last name. Like he never had like a professional name. He kept his last name and everything when he uh, did it when he was acting, uh, acting on both uh, stage and screen. Uh, he started out uh, when he was young uh, playing the ukulele, but then once he got into high school, he, he uh, developed a taste for the uh, banjo, and then. That eventually got him into jazz and playing with all these different acts. Uh, he has several albums that was released. He co-hosted the Tonight Show a couple times with Johnny Carson, or hosted for Johnny Carson when he wasn't there as well. And he also co-hosted the Oscars back in '76. I didn't know too much about Siegel and like his earlier work before, like you know, he, in the '90s and 2000s. It's sort of like playing that sort of stereotypical like fun kind of silly um you know jewish patriarch mm-hmm. and, I, and uh, so i was i was pleasantly surprised and i mean he's a very handsome young man and uh, i i did i did like him as quiller now i don't know if he plays him like the character in in the novel series because this was um based on the book uh the berlin memorandum um, Maybe they changed the name just so that it's something Hall, I believe, Alex Hall. That's a, I think that's a pen name, actually. Wait, yeah, uh, I think that's a nom de plume, 
Um, I have it. It is... And just while you're checking that, uh, one cool thing about George Siegel is that while he was a comedian, he had a comedic background, he was also a very serious actor, like dramatic stuff as well. As we can see in this movie, I mean, on a... I'm not going to say he was dramatically solid in this film, but you can, <laughs> no. he has, you can see that he has acting chops. I mean, uh, he did study at the Actors Studio under Lee Strasberg. So, you know, he was from the same school of like that De Niro and um, Brando and all that came from. So uh, he, comedic wise, he was very close relationships with uh, Buck Henry, uh, with uh, Patty Chayefsky. So... You know, the man definitely had a lot of uh, influence and uh, connections uh, in the industry to get the roles that, he, that you know, he was well known for. Like uh, Ship of Fools, uh, King Rat, based on the Clavel novel, which was oh, supposed yeah, to be... Yeah. a good, good uh, film. I like that one. Yeah. Supposed to have been Frank Sinatra, but he got the role instead. Um, it's another good John Barry score. Oh, cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's yeah. cool. And Mice and Men was another adaptation that he was in. Okay. Death of a Salesman, he played Biff. And that makes perfect sense. I can see him as a Biff, that's for sure. And, of course, <laughs> he was actually um, he was actually nominated for an Oscar Best Supporting Actor for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf by Mike Nichols. Oh, that's right. With uh, Taylor Burton. Yeah. He was the young faculty member that mm-hmm. was at the, at the dinner. Mm-hmm. He's really the... Oh. Um, he's the buffer. Really, he really, really is. Yeah, he's the buffer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to just to go back to my point. So the the book was called the Berlin Memorandum, and ironically, it was only written the year before the movie actually filmed. So that's kind of funny. It came out in '65, and it was by uh, Elliston Tre- uh, Trevor. But I think the nom de plume was uh, was it uh, Hall? Is what it shows in the film. Um, that's a quick but, turnover uh, licensing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's very bought quick. up right away. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, Hollywood yeah. was eaten, and and so was British. The British uh, studios were just buying up these spy stories, weren't they? Like oh, Bond, Bond that's, was explosive. That was the, the, yeah, well, exactly, exactly. They probably and, changed the name to Quiller because maybe they wanted to start a franchise with him or something like that. That was could have could have been in the offing. <laughs> I think so. Didn't happen, but no, no, it didn't. But um, but there's there's quite a few books apparently mm-hmm. for, of with that character. Okay, what should, what do you guys want to talk about now? I guess I can talk a little bit about the screenplay. Yeah, sure. def- okay. definitely. Because I think that. this is one of the elements uh, that's really noticeable in in the film. I think it's probably the strongest. Por- the dialogue is probably the strongest part of. Uh, yeah, well, I think this was a script um, by Harold Pinter, which attracted these um these actors i mean it it is a really good cast regardless of what you think or what we might soon think or say about the the performances of the individuals all of the actors were really attracted to this script george siegel has said in an interview that it's the lightest most economical script i've ever read alec guinness referred to it as marvelous saying that it leaves a lot of loose edges for the actors to fill in subtlety and wit he says that's pinter all over isn't it and Von Sado, uh exclaimed that everything in the script was understated. There's so much between the lines for a director or an actor to find their own interpretation with. So those just some um, some expressive platitudes, I suppose, by the by the by the actor uh, acting crew and Santa Berger as well um, was quite um, 
quite effusive about how much she enjoyed the script. Um, yeah, so Harold Pinter, I mean, he, at this time in the 60s, very, very big figure in yeah. uh, stage and screen. Um, I think really this, this, this screenplay was nominated, as Jeff, you said, it's, um, it's really one of the hallmarks of the film, but Pinter is regarded as the most influential and provocative poetic dramatist of his generation. Now that's a direct quote from his obituary by Michael Billington, who was writing in the Guardian in 2008. And, uh, you know, that, that's no small that's no small celebration. The most influential, provocative, and poetic dramatist of his generation. In that's, fact, there was a yeah, yeah there's an adjective that came. That's pin, pretty good. Pinteresque, uh, Pinteresque. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, an adjective yeah. referring to the quote cryptically mysterious situations imbued with hidden menace. So when one uses that term, that's what they're referring to. And it comes, of course, from his well-known now, his very well-known drama. Pinter was an instinctively political writer, but most of his best-loved works are about sex, power, and relationships. Um, in the 1980s, he, with the publication of a couple of plays, and I guess kind of this change in his own personal life towards political activism, he became regarded more as a political writer of civil rights and sort of, uh, you know, the way he would throw himself behind things. But it really did start He also married an author, too. He, uh, in the 80s, uh, he married Antonia Fraser, best known for, like, her biographies on Mary, Queen of Scots, and uh, uh, Cleopatra. And uh, I can see her, she's a very well-known feminist figure, so that could explain why he might have been a bit politicized as well. Well, it might have, but it, I, I think his, politi his political leanings were, were certainly before that. In 1948, he um, conscientiously objected to the draft or national service and su su suffered as a result of that, like this kind of series of Kafka-esque, I guess, um, tribunals and hearings and things. Ultimately, he escaped with a fine, but I think his objection to sort of that... Um, being told what to do, being put in a box, uh, whether it's domestic relationship struggle and conflict or whether it's political. I think there was that sort of seedling um, in him. So you what know, more was that man. than that he was a conscientious objector? But but it was also the objection to well, yeah. the draft itself, the objection to being drafted, uh, you know, for yes. your national service. That, that, that also uh, engendered a lot of, you know, difference of opinion among people. Uh, but right. he was an actor himself. At school, he acted um, at the behest of his English teacher, who he um, he cited as a big influence in his life uh, in a number of Shakespeare groups. And he did earn a place at RADA, but he disliked it very much. And of course, RADA has uh, produced a great number of actors known in the Bond world, not least of which Roger Moore and Lois Maxwell. Mm -hmm. He's a really voracious reader of literature, devouring Dostoevsky, Chekhov, Hemingway. And in terms of Hemingway specifically, I think it's interesting because one of the things that he is well known for, as the actors in this film just quoted a moment ago had said, is what lives beyond and beneath the lines of dialogue. And he himself, Pinter, on language, said that so often below the word spoken is the thing known and unspoken. And that is almost a Hemingway approach to script writing. You know, it's like leave it beneath the surface for interpretation. And obviously that space for interpretation is what the director and what the actors really enjoyed about his writing. And we, we, should, also, we should also say that 
um, Pinter was nominated for two Oscars for his screenwriting. A little bit after this, The French Lieutenant's Woman and Betrayal, both 80s films that were nominated. Uh, He also wrote... It's funny, you were talking about Logan's Run a few moments ago. He also wrote a film in 1967 called Accident, uh, starring Michael York. And that was, I think, a fine. I think that was a finalist in the, or was it? Yeah, I think that was a finalist in the Cannes Film Festival in '67. Um, he also wrote the James Mason film, The Pumpkin Eater, with um, oh, what's her name now? I forget now. Uh, that was in '64. I forget her name. Uh, Bancroft, Anne Bancroft, I think. Anne Bancroft. Oh. And the Fitzgerald Mel story, Brooks The Last wife. Tycoon. Yeah, The Last Tycoon was also a film he wrote in 76. So, I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got some some serious pedigree as a screenwriter as well as a dramatist, but he's best known for a dramatist as a dramatist, having won the Nobel Prize just three years before his life for literature in 2005. Uh, the types of themes that he's well known for are the sorts of themes that we see here in the story to a point. Um, male weakness, maybe, uh, isolationism, double standards, Isolation, yeah. survival, domestic power, you know, these sorts of things kind of kept through his, his, uh, his and plays. And a little bit of but, politics, yeah. for sure. It's definitely mm-hmm. oh, of uh, course, placed, yeah. placed yeah. into there. Yeah, the double standards of uh, capitalism, for one thing, you know. Exactly. Yeah, really, really interesting guy and a big name at the time, you know, that they, he, time, this, is, yeah. this is him at his, wow, not breakout, because, you know, the plays, like The Guest and... Um, and whatnot. The, the, these did pre-exist the the publication of uh, or the, the production of this movie, but he was well known at the time. Yeah, so he would have been a big a big draw. I don't know of someone an equivalent who, really who you want today, to but yeah, like a Sondheim, maybe something like that. Yeah, would it be like a mammoth or a like mammoth? A yeah, mammoth? yeah, sorry, that's yeah. a better would, example. Would, that's a would, would, would be a good example. Or a Christopher McQuarrie, like just someone who is well known for. Um, those kind of stories, those kind of politicizations, or like Yanucci as well would be another example. The guy, you know, yeah. who did um, yeah. what's that? What's that show with uh, Peter no, Capaldi? Uh, well, the thick of it, in the yeah, thick the of thick it, yeah. And then also his individual films as, that he's done as well. He's done a lot of good writing for the for BBC and for you know British stars. Like he he created the character of Alan Partridge. Sorry. He yeah. didn't create the character of Alan Partridge. Oh. He <laughs> he worked with Steve oh, Coogan man. on uh, on the Alan Partridge series. Oh yeah. Okay, man, I love that character. I love his, uh, yeah, just go, go and bring it back oh. to Bond. His op- When he does the whole, like, when he acts out the spy who loved me, like the whole opening sequence, oh, man, that's just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> have you guys listened for- to, um, have you listened to any episodes of, uh, what's the podcast? I think it's Roger Moore's Cubbyhole, I think is what it is. It, the, the guys are great. I have not. And one of them does a uh, an Alan Partridge uh, imp- impression when he goes to like the key scenes. He like does it through Alan Partridge. He channels them. It's just a bit of fun. Anyway, Ro- nice. Roger Moore's Cubbyhole. Check it out. It's a good good little podcast that, as well. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so uh, before we get to our money finish, we're just going to sort of talk about uh, some of our favorite highlights of the film. Absolutely, buddy. Me. I kind of uh, sort of stopped uh, mid and, and sort of t- 
talked about how much I enjoyed the interactions between uh, Paul and Quiller, or mm-hmm. uh, the actors being Siegel and and Guinness and Siegel and Seidel, with uh, being October. Uh, I, those are my pretty much my favorite scenes of the film, just because of the interaction. And I'm sure that has a, a large portion of that has to do with uh, Pinter as well. Um, I really I really liked Alec Guinness as Paul, and I thought his character was. Very interesting, almost like uh, he's he's obviously very intelligent, and almost almost a caricature of of, of a, a British you know station chief or, or or handler, but almost to the point of being aloof and, and uh, snooty, I guess. And I liked that, and I, I liked I really enjoyed the interaction, and uh, and you can just see like every every line that. As Paul uh, speaking to Quiller, uh, every every line is is calculated, and he's just sort of baiting him on every line, and I really enjoyed that. That's the strength of the Pinter dialogue, I would say for sure. Um, speaking of what you said, Jeff, the character of Paul seems perfect uh, for someone being sent by the men who were introduced to us at the very beginning, who are in control of the SIS, the Secret yeah, Security Intelligence Service. Exactly. You know, eating their lunch. You know, uh, yeah. at, at the uh, you know in Westminster, what have you. And how's the pheasant? Oh, it's not bad at all. Not bad at all. And <laughs> and just how did they discuss their case? Like this yeah. is not Bernard Lee and and no, uh, no. looking across at Sean Connery no. at the desk no. given his operation. You know, they're doing their jobs and they're doing it in a very bureaucratic emotionless, uh, void of humanity kind of way. Cold, Very cold. cold. Yeah. And Paul seems like someone who would perfect, that they would definitely hire to, to, to carry out their biddings and oversee those operations. Mm-hmm. And so that, that fit in where very well with me, uh, a very kind of restrained English, a uh, stiff upper lip, I guess you could say, received pronunciation, just that kind of really over the top Britishness, uh, minus the camaraderie, as kind of rough as it was between, you know, like Bond and M, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that too. And I do like how, at least I guess from a, a structural point of view, that all the suits behind Quiller are doing, like you're saying, Josh, they're all eating posh meals or they're getting set for white tie affairs and banquets. And it really does help to characterize how detached these these bureaucrats yes. are from the yeah. humans that are on the field. And I think that it's perfect what Paul's doing in, in this conversation that Jeff likes so much at the at the diner or the cafe, because he's there with the he's there with the scones and he's trying to set up, you know, this is your uh, you're stuck between two opposing factions and he's playing with scones, but that's, I mean, that's really how game valuable these agents, game of scones. That's, that's how valuable, <laughs> that's how valuable these agents are to these suits. Like they, they are just fucking biscuits. Like they, they you know, yes. and I know some, <laughs> some are better than others. Some got raisins, some got fruit, but the Ew. truth, the truth Ooh, is, I like that. Some has raisins. Hey man, I, I, I am a big I fan hate, of fruit raisins. scones. You hate raisins. What's the matter with you? I, I feel like just cutting this right now. We that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> What's wrong with Jeff? I, yeah, I, behind the well, paywall. I don't like What's raisins. What's wrong with Jeff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Subscribe on Patreon for for the full, <laughs> oh, full episode uh, yeah. <laughs> season. You mean it's fucking one episode? Anyway. Yeah, I, I just think that, that that's like the perfect symbol, isn't it? Like for how how detached and uninterested they are. Like I'm going to use scones as a symbol of these factions, but really, you're you're like the salt shaker in between. You really are meaningless to me. 
And I like how he's using scones as an example in a German restaurant. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I also like, for example, uh, yeah. if you go back to another conversation between Paul and uh, uh, Quiller, the first their first uh, interaction at the Olympia Stadium, you know, the place of mm, many significant Nazi rallies and and whatnot. Yeah, and he's like eating the Knackwerk sandwich, so you know, a particularly very German meat, and he's you know, right at, indifferent to all the stuff that's going on, you know that went on in that stadium you know like there's like an emotional disconnection to what's going on even more significant to the fact of you know Siegel's Jewish ancestry now they don't highlight that in the film but I thought that would be interesting because they said that he did work in the Middle East so it makes me wonder if he was like in Jerusalem was he also like a Nazi hunter like they never quite get the the details on that that's true but I I I took a different look at that sorry Jeff you go ahead buddy no no, I, when they said he worked in the Middle East, I kind of figured he may have had something to do in Egypt. Like, the whole, mm-hmm. like, um, that's what I was Nasser. thinking. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's around that time. Because the, the yeah. Suez crisis. But that, exact. well, and, and after that, because yeah. there was a lot of stuff going on in the early to mid-60s at that time as well. Uh, who knows? But I, but I think it was good just if you wanted to sort of give sort of like a little nugget of like oh okay so he just came back from somewhere where you know that's still very much sort of like uh, has to do with the cold war and and uh and and interesting uh operations that would be very heavy-handed is if you want to give the guy if you want to sort of get the audience to think oh okay this guy is a heavy hitter he just came back from the middle east so obviously you know he, he they sent him in to important areas to get things done so I think that was the whole point of of name dropping mm-hmm. uh, that as a as a location. It's a well known chaotic area, and it's exactly. just to show that this guy can su- this guy can this guy endure can... under mm-hmm. certain circumstances. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Point. That's that's what it was. Which but, yeah. he needs, which he needs to do. The scene, however, in the like the, the first meeting. Just to go back to what you were saying, Josh, I find it also kind of interesting. I, I did read it differently than you did, though, because I don't think so much Paul is is ambivalent about what's going on. I read it more like this is a site where there were Nazi rallies. This is the site of such fascist you know, history. I, I just kind of think it's like him sitting there saying, yeah, well, now here I am eating a sandwich, running a British <laughs> intelligence thing, and you got no idea yeah. that I'm here. And the fact there's tourists all around the place. Just yeah, it's like hiding in plain sight. Yeah. And then you get kind of like that Riefenstahl like opening shot where like he's walking towards the stadium between like the two big yeah. obelisks, right? That you yeah. see at the front, you know, a very particular fascist Nazi imagery. And then when you go in yeah. there, it's an empty stadium. Yes. And then you have tours there and then you have his indifference to it, uh, you know, showing that, you know, we're on top now. This is the new regime. Very good point. Very good point. Mm. I was sort of in the same mindset as Scott in regarding that. I also thought it was kind of funny. It was like if they're doing a clandestine meetup and sort of, you know, if you're going to be the only two people in a huge amphitheater, like you kind of stick out. Yeah. It's like we're having a secret yeah. meeting, but like you're broadcast. Anyone can, you're like, hi. You're like, uh. I also had flashbacks <laughs> to the Arl sequence funny. in Ronin, too, where that's what I, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going with that. Yeah, a little like, bit of that, too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. My favorite scene in the film, I think, has to be the sequence between when he leaves the Phoenix HQ for the second time, uh, all the way from that sequence all the way up until the bomb exploding. Oh, yeah. That whole sequence is, is, I think, is masterful. And um, it is. It, to me, made the movie better than what I was feeling at that time about it, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I don't think and, it was my favorite scene, but I certainly can't. I can't scene. criticize you for saying that because the way it's built structurally, it is very Hitchcocky, and the guys are following him Ooh. because he's just out for a walk to think about the option he has. But we we get there that sort of paralytical um, structural expose if you think of it that way where we can understand what the beginning shot in the film is all about like you're just the next in line pal like you're going to this phone booth too and there it is you know yes and you <laughs> exactly see the, same the, with the, of the whole thing it shows him working in a situation where he uses his wits you know and 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 goes against mm. protocol and go things outside the box to escape right mm-hmm. uh, but like why wouldn't jones have done something like that either right so yeah. you're always yeah. so to me it's a, it's a scene that definitely makes the main makes the protagonist a much better operative than what he was previous, in my opinion. Uh, well, it I, kind of redeems I, him as being like a, a solid operative, in my opinion. I, that whole I, I I totally agree with you in that sense, and it, because I think what it does is it, because it's kind of reverting back to the original scene. Like if we're going full circle, or or even repetition, showing showing the mistakes of the previous agent, showing like the previous agent was not at the tier of Quiller, whereas. The other agent was like, you know, he was trying to find the phone booth. Like, it's like Boy Scout stuff. Like, you don't, you know, don't just use a phone booth in the middle. And, like, you know you're probably being mm-hmm. followed, you know. And if you see with how Quiller dealt with it, and then, you know, he knew how to get around this. So it actually did show some of his, his spycraft or his tradecraft on how, because before that, we don't really have a lot of examples of, like, so if Quiller was was told to come in and and finish this assignment if he was sort of like the escalation point as i keep saying why and then there's little nuggets throughout the film that are well placed and again this is where i feel this film uh, some of the positives of this film as a as an espionage film is is showing that it's more realistic Mm -hmm. uh it's not like a bond film where it's all explosions and and girls there's a few of those here but it's 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 more realistic because it shows you how how this kind of tradecraft, this kind of espionage, works in in a, in a Cold War situation in in a Berlin. Like it's a very it's very believable. Like when he confronts those guys and he speaks uh, German, whereas before he always says he doesn't understand German. Or he plays that brash, aloof American, mm-hmm. but you know that he he is highly trained. So then you see these little examples of this. Like then yeah. you see a, he knows how to, uh, you know, not necessarily December. Uh, um, take apart a bomb, but he he does, mm-hmm. and he knows how to. He knows all these little things, like how does how does he get away from a tail? How does he drive? Yeah. Anyways, what I'm getting at is like I think these are good examples that are are, are elegantly placed throughout uh, the film, like raisins in a. Um, Careful. <laughs> in a scone. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, Game is scones. Well. Yeah. There you go. I just there thought you were going to slam reasons again. That, that's just no, <laughs> no. I've done that for my whole life. I don't need to do that today. <laughs> there, there we go. Uh, yeah. But anyways, I think it's it's well placed um, for showing the character and like little bits on on how Quiller is actually a decent operative. That's a good point. Uh, that's what I was trying to say. That took way too long. Sorry. No, well, no, not before at all. we lead into this story, I think part of the evaluation in the money pennies. What was your favorite scene, Scott? Well, you know, guys, I, I I have a highlight. I don't know it's a favorite scene. I liked cert, I, I liked several things in this film, and I, I do like the scenes that you guys mentioned. But mine is probably a little bit lame. But it it, it might connect well, to it might connect to what Jeff's saying about this sort of uh, you know the tradecraft that both sides are playing. And I I must say though, just as a as a kind of a preface to this, I really do like where he goes into her apartment, and you get that sort of apartment look in downtown Berlin. And I know it's all dressed up, and it's a studio set in Pinewood. I get yeah, that, yeah. but I do mm-hmm. like 
the the little details of like you know the pouring out the lemonade or the you know I like yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. And I do like her space. It, it feels quite modern and quite soft to me, mm-hmm. yeah. which is which is I think the seductive point of it. It's meant to be. But yes, if if, if I get back to uh, your question, I really like the scene where she says after you know postcoital. Uh, and by the way, pre-coital, what a line. Like, you're so white. That's a really strange line that, that he utters. Is that like utters. a Nazi reference? I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> no, no, man. Yeah, I, was like, uh, I, I was like, what? I don't know. That's odd. Yeah. Oh, you're so, maybe you're he so likes, white. Maybe, maybe he likes pale girls. Like, I don't know, like uh, Helena Bonham Carter or Winona Ryder or something. He just likes the goth. He likes the goth girls, maybe. Okay. Well, I, sure. I, I, well, I don't know. Maybe he was vetting her to see, like, maybe she was neon. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. White or nothing. <laughs> Is that what she was going to yeah. say? White or nothing. Anyway, yeah. uh, I think oh, I just revealed it like goth girls. Just a moment there. You, you oh, might have just done that, yeah. And uh, behind I'm, the next I'm, paywall, I'm it's cool going to be what's, what's up with Josh. Oh, anyway, so, I don't think anyone will disagree with Renona Ryder or Helena Bonham Carter. No, no offense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it's the scene, guys, where where she takes him to the pool and it's emptied out, and she says to him, just to throw away a line, she says to him, "Let's go to the deep end." And I just thought, oh yeah. I just thought though, like that—that's actually an awesome line because, you know, he—it—it's—it might even be my favorite line in the film because it's so loaded. Like it's loaded sexually, it's loaded politically, but it's also loaded literally. Like we're just going to the deep end of the pool. But this is also, I don't like. It's like a secondary motivating incident for the plot yeah. because it gets things going into the deep end. And I, I find it's kind of like it's kind of. A line that you would that stands out in presentation, but also from a literary point of view, it's it's quite a cool line, you know. I'm picturing and, like it's, a it's good. pitcher yeah, on a royal or whatever the heck he's typing on, <laughs> smirking as he yeah. writes that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I like he's got that. Corolla Deville cigarette. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. I did like that. I agree with Scott. I, and you know what? Now that I think about it, it really does kind of like it's almost like he he shifts gears. Like in his porch, it's almost like when he gets into the deep end, it's literally like they're shifting gears because now he's brought. He's brought Inga in into the into the field to play here, or she's brought him, and, and or or exactly. So now, like you know, it's coming to a head. Like now, it's cool, you know. And uh, I don't know that that is a good point. That is a good point. But I do like I do like the scenes you guys mentioned, and it is really tough to to fault that very deliberate structural thing that Anderson does with the camera and the the story. You know, like let's just write. Quiller doing the exact right. same things that Jones does. I like that. And I like the way it's presented. Only this time you've got the men flanking, whereas Jones was on his own, you know? So it's, uh, exactly. it's, it's good. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly a standout point for me. Um, mm-hmm. Are we, are we ready to money penny this up? Share our money pennies. Are we going to call them money pennies? Are we going to call them? Oh no, we must. We have to call them money pennies or Deutschmarks. Deutschmarks. It's been so long since we reviewed uh, a film on Bombay numbers. We, we've got to use our our money penny scoring system. Of course, of course, yes. For, I know you were just joshing. Thing. Yeah, double O Taylor. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> just joshing. Right. Well, let's see if we get ready to money pennies. Well, let's start with story. We've got three categories: story, acting, and atmosphere, uh, and each can earn up to ten money pennies for a total perfect score of thirty. Right? That's what we do. Uh, let's see. Let's see, guys. Start with story. Uh, Josh, why don't you go? 
All right. Well, for story, um, there was some ingenuity uh, with the action suspense scenes. Uh, I found the characterization was thinly sketched. Uh, they were written to be pawns, however. So like pieces on a chessboard in the story world, as well as to serve the screenplay. Um, it did lack emotional investment for me. Even some of the stakes, especially after the confusion mm -hmm. we get when he is let go, even though the script answers that later on, it still kind of reminded me of how simplistic the story was. So that's mm -hmm. another thing about the story is it was simplistic, but that's not either a bad or a good thing. That's something that I think served the telling of it. Mm -hmm. um, it was anticlimactic after the car bomb sequence, in my opinion, mm -hmm. but yep. uh, it was realistic to me. And I like that sense of realism that they brought to the film, especially in the spy craft and like that whole idea of the off screen capture. Like here you have the big bad, the megaloman, like the yeah. Bond villain, I guess you could say, uh, Von Sydow's character, and he's foiled off screen, right? Which is very anti Bond on how that was handled. That's a good point. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but to me, though, is where like the real climax would have been the twist at the end when we reveal that Inga is part of that organization. And that twist to me needed to be more powerful. You, you know, it's like basically it's like, hi, I'm a Nazi. OK, bye. Like, that's basically how that well, movie ended for me. Don't um, hit my kids yeah. as you walk past them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So honestly, how are you inspecting the troops? What did you think? <laughs> yeah. So overall, um, despite you know some some ingenious sequences, which I really and the dialogue in particular, I'm going to settle on a six and a half out of ten money pennies for this one. Okay, okay. Well, I'll go next, and then Jeff. This is your this is your choice of film. So we're going to give you final word on all of them. Oh, um, uh, sure. Okay. But I I went for a six with story, and mm. I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit uh, conflicted here because I'm not oh, sure how man. Because I'm not sure how much of this understatement in the story is meant is meant <laughs> is meant to be, is meant to be there deliberately, like and and if it's, yeah, if it's yes. meant to be there through the script or the I know like is that then the the whole reception of this film has it been misaligned? Like have they missed yes. the point right. of what Pinter right. is trying right. to do, Marketed. of what Anderson's trying to do? Yeah. Like exactly. So you know, I'm going with a six because, as Josh says, the way I receive it is still underwhelming it's still a little bit yes. it's it's still yeah thin thinly sketched characters and they they are operatives you know i get that but for a tight little story which it is it did work well but i mm -hmm. i feel like we're missing out on the world building of this a little bit the organizations yeah. we're missing out yeah. on the mm -hmm. on on the the pathos maybe and there is yeah. but then again backstory you know, like going back and forth because this is supposed to be a nihilistic sort of feel you're supposed to feel like sometimes the good guys catch the bad guys the bad guys aren't bad guys and the good girl is a bad girl and sometimes the good bad girl gets to live a good bad life after the good guy goes away and so it's like Shit, I don't know what I'm meant to feel. I've been all mixed up, and I've been mixed yes. up with characters that are are not fully developed. Like even even the cover that we get, Hengel. You know, um, I, I referred to him as Will Ferrell's dad because when I first looked at him, I'm like, "Fuck, that's Will Ferrell's dad." <laughs> that's who he is. Anyway, no, his name is uh, Peter Karsten. I understand that now, but um, I, I thought yeah. that his character could have been more interestingly designed and. But you know what? They're all consistent. They're consistent in presentation. And so the, the aesthetic of the movie works because I'm going to give you a thinly sketched pole. I'm going to give you a thinly sketched quiller. And everyone, it's it's like you're walking through an art gallery where you're, you're looking at these little sketched drawings of people. You're trying to figure out their dimensions. And the film ends 
and you understand that you've been taken for a ride and you didn't get all those dimensions, but maybe <laughs> yeah, the fucking you're movie... You're kind of annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, but the yeah, movie I, didn't want yeah. to show that to you. That It's trying to make a bigger comment about espionage and about the world at maybe, you know, yes. that these people are just shadowy figures everywhere you go and you're not going to have that bonding relationship with them. You're not going to get yes. to know what kind of clothes he likes to wear, what kind of drinks he likes to have, because yeah. that's not what we're doing. We're showing you uh, no. snippets of yeah. real people in a world that just goes by and... That's where I feel maybe Michael Anderson's effort here was missed by the by the film critic world and yeah. maybe the whole production, the whole conception of the film was not ever going to receive the attention of the critics and because it's not explosive in that way there's it, it's a very subtle film like the script I think it's very subtle and so it, it is I'm sticking with my 6 but I'm I'm going to lean towards those fans and those listeners who, like Dom from the Double O Files, we know is a big, big yeah. supporter of this this movie. I'm going to lean towards their interpretation of this being more genius, maybe more clever and more deserving of praise than the six that I'm giving it. So six money pennies for me. Good and job. You know bro. what? Good show. I agree with that. And so it's funny because when I I finished watching it, like I'm, I'm watching the film and I'm like, yeah, this is good, but I'm like, it's kind of underwhelming and like you know. Okay, I, almost to the point, and I, I hate to use the word boring, but I was like, okay, but then, I, but then that made me think. I'm like, you know what? I like it because this isn't like a really flashy yeah. espionage. Yeah. This isn't. That's what I mean. It's like a meat and potatoes. Like I'm like, I. And then I was like, oh, maybe I like it more because this is a little more realistic. Yeah, and there is great realism, like right? But I'm like, it doesn't need a yeah, jetpack. You're right, it doesn't Josh. need yeah. like a, it doesn't need a pool of of sharks. <laughs> Uh, well, this, this is this could use one. Well, okay, could fine. Everyone needs a pool of sharks, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but uh, but I was like, you know what? Maybe that's what they meant to do. Yeah, and I absolutely. think I think it's just the way that it was done and it was written. It, it, it's not flashy, and hmm. maybe people were expecting that. But I like the fact that it wasn't flashy because mm-hmm. a lot of espionage is not. It's no. bo- it's Boring. And yeah. even I, I watched. I, I was looking. I was watching it on, on YouTube, and some of the comments are like. You know, it was boring. And one of the guys, one of the guys that commented said, "I was a junior. Like, he, a guy actually worked on the film. And he's like, yeah, but you have to understand, like, this is more realistic. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Spycraft isn't just, you know, like caviar and hot chicks and and, oh, and silence pistols, like right? Mm-hmm. No, no. I, and I, yeah, I didn't go down the rabbit hole, but but I agreed with him saying, like, yeah, a lot of a lot of real. Not that I know. Did you write back okay. to him? No, okay. I never. I've never commented once. I will never comment on YouTube. <laughs> that doesn't open um, up a, another rabbit hole. I just won't do it. But, <laughs> but my money pennies are not going to necessarily be super high. But that doesn't mean I didn't like the film. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, yes. but again, I, I did find it underwhelming. But that also made me appreciate it a little bit more from the style of the film, and especially with, with it being so popular, that genre at the time being like you know over the maybe over the top sort of spy films and and, and Bond films. It went against the grain and was a bit refreshing, being sort of more linear and and I quote unquote realistic. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, that's that's cool. Like, and I like that it is it is different. And while it isn't bang, it's, it isn't car, you know, no. like super explosive and stuff. It does offer that verisimilitude that sometimes you don't get in this genre, and I do appreciate that. So I think you're absolutely yeah. right to to point it out. And you know, again, um, there's that. There is that feeling, isn't there, that like this is real spy work, and you get the you get the impression yeah. that th- the real intelligence world is very much like okay, take him out of the picture, put this person in. That person's not working. That person's killed. We need another replacement. And so you get you do you do sort of get the How's feeling that it's 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, 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 that's right. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife and uh and I'm going to go back into work the next day and have some fucking white tie affair while the people are really running around risking their lives and maybe they'll yeah. live, maybe they'll die, but we'll replace them next week if we have to with other people. <laughs> exactly. To yeah, quote like, Sean oh. Bean in uh yeah. Troy uh as Odysseus, war is old men talking and young men dying. Young men dying. Yeah, and that that hasn't changed. <laughs> Uh, so what what was your score, pal? For story, my mm-hmm. score was five and a half, six. Okay. And again, like the story, I felt like it was nothing to write home about. Like it's a pretty let's find spies. Let's like where, let's where's root your out base? The Nazis, yeah. mm-hmm. Let's root out the Nazis. So there's nothing like super um, groundbreaking, but it's well done. And because of the way you know, now that I've I kind of understand Pinter a bit more, is that because of his sort of open ended and uh, script and, and how you can play with it, it, that that does explain sort of why it's like that. And again, I mean, look, it it's water cooler talk. It's getting people talking. That's and right. So and I think that I think it I think whatever it was, he did the he did a good job because people are still talking about it. That's true. I think today, if this was remade, even at the time that, it, even if it was remade to be filmed at the time that it was took place in in the '60s, do you think there would be much more emphasis on the Nazi element of, of the villains in particular today? I think there would definitely be like more of a or an emphasization on how Nazi, because it's very vague yeah. in this film, and I'm yeah. wondering because it's still 1966. 66. Like, we're still rounding up guys like Mengele and yeah. Eichmann at this time. Yeah, we're aware of the Holocaust at this time, but we're aware of you know of Israel and all that sort of stuff, and that's being mm-hmm. built up, being militarized. You know, I'm just wondering if like they were sort of being very vague about it, like they didn't want to overly politicize it. And maybe there was because, you know, there was relations with the Germans that, you know, the, that they didn't want to, I guess, remind them of that past as much. And that's why they focused on the Germans being a bit more, yeah, they used the term Nazis, but they also focused more on like German supremacy as like, as like a failed empire, right? That seems what they were focusing on and bringing the Germany back with like the Phoenix yeah. imagery and stuff like well, that. I, I think you made a good point, and you you had touched upon this earlier, especially and especially if we're going by the term that they're using for this organization being Phoenix. They they did say the, the term neo Nazi in they the did. film. I was surprised because I was wondering Which how I thought, new that I was wondering how old that yeah, that's particular a, phrase was. You know, yeah, that's a good point. But like, I think you're right. Is like they they weren't necessarily saying it was like SS like they want to you know do another like final solution, but it's more like. They're trying to build up what they had before. So who knows? Like pre, if they're, if like they're, pre-Versailles, yeah, basically. Like you're saying. Like the, exactly. Yeah. Like, is it entirely menacing? Or is it, Is it? I mean... Just a return pro- to... Probably it is. But I'm sure there are going to be menacing yeah. elements. And mm-hmm. how they're going about it, obviously, they're trying to kill people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they're, and they're you know... and that's, yeah. So then, yeah, they're a menace. But, also patriotic but, yeah. British film in a way, too. Because you have, like, an American operative working for the British. That, that drove around I couldn't By a British man. On top of yeah. that, you have like the British Empire on top of the on top leading the new Europe, basically at least yeah. outside on on the Western Bloc anyway, uh, in Berlin, oh, right? So there's that symbolism to be considered as well. That drove me nuts. I'm like, so why is is this British intelligence? And then you have an American coming. Like I'm like, that was I I couldn't handle that at first. That almost like 
threw me off the film. I, but that's like, also part of the world right. building that I feel is missing in yeah, the I film know. because that 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 could that, that could suggest a why. different government organization, a different collaborative yeah, exactly. yeah. enterprise. Because exactly. it yeah. says SIS in the it's so that's the, yeah, that's the security intelligence service. Yeah. That is basically like yeah, MI6. It's MI6. Exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What I'm wondering, like. If Siegel, I mean Siegel was all right in the role for sure. We'll get that, we'll get into that sure. when it comes to the acting. Sure. But I could easily have seen like I don't know like Michael Caine or Oliver well, Reed exactly. or Michael yeah. York in that particular yeah. role. Or, you, know, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. as a, a Britishman doing an article on for the London Times on you know on, on neo Nazis and yeah. stuff like that. Right, as a fascist in Germany, exactly. Well, why don't well, we yeah. just get into the acting then? Yeah, let's do it. I'll yeah. go this time then, and Josh, and then you, and yeah, then we'll absolutely. give Jeff the last word. Um, of course. You know, guys, we've we've talked we've talked about Seagal. Uh, sometimes I can't tell if he's got like one or a hundred faces. I don't know. There's <laughs> there's more than a little bit of the Shatner in him. I feel mm-hmm. watching yeah. him. I'm getting uh, okay. a bit of Captain Kirk channeling yeah, here. Maybe that's where I was. And it could be just the hair. Especially the hair. Especially the hair. Yeah, it could be the hair. Um, I was thinking. Dan- yeah. I said to Josh, Danny K for some reason. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of Danny K in there too. Danny can, fucking yeah, K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. There is. And all, by the way, handsome men, Shatner, Danny Kaye, and Seagal. They're all very handsome men. But yeah, they do yeah. share that sort of... Um, that's Unless you're Godley that... Crowther, pudding head, or whatever you call them there. <laughs> oh, yeah. That yeah, that's funny. true. Uh... Anyway, I, I, look, Seagal was all right. But, I, and, you know, I go back and forth like I did with the story. Because... I can't see like he just doesn't feel like a secret agent to me, and I guess that no, he doesn't. Like, but maybe that's because he's playing the, his covers so well, and that's very meta. In in that case, I'm giving the filmmakers an awful lot and Seagal <laughs> an awful lot of credit. But I mean, yeah. he never drops his cover very much if he's playing cover, and no. and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. But I just don't see him as a secret agent. His acting is perfectly fine. He has a couple of scenes where, like you're saying, that menace does come, but it's only in a couple of moments. I do like the interrogation scene, and I think he's very good in it. And it's more than a little reminiscent of the Casino Royale chair <laughs> scene, uh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I know. That's what a I was little thinking. Bit. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, he's he's okay. Like, I think... It's when he's with Berger and or Inga that we see him as the secret agent the best after he reveals his I you know the idea that he's actually an investigator. Like I think that's where we see him at his best. But Segal is okay. Like I like him, but yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't think I like him too much in this film. Miscast. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe, but maybe I do. Maybe I do. Um, I did. I, I did know. like him. But I don't know. But, well, that's good. That's I, I good. I yeah. agree with what you're saying. No, no, no. Who I, likes I'm agreement not, on podcasts? I don't disagree with yeah. you. Um, <laughs> hot takes always hot takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Alec, Alec Guinness for you know Alec Guinness like he's he's awesome, but I felt that he was just I felt he was phoning it in a little bit here. Like that's how oh. I feel about him. Like yeah. I, I just think like he's such a good actor, and I've seen him so dynamic before. And maybe this is what the screenplay calls for him. He he. I mean, I love an actor who gets in front of an interview camera and says, "Yes, well, the the script was very demanding, but in a subtle way." And so the performance is very subtle. Like, is it, or did you just phone it in? Like, <laughs> like really? Like, are you telling know, me that I'm not clever enough too. to see what you've done? Okay, Alec, Sir Alec, sorry. That's a that's yeah. a great thing. You can say that because you're you fucking just, Sir Alec. Use the Jedi stuff. mind trick. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Is it really that good? I love Alec yes. Guinness. I just feel like for what he did, Bernard Lee in his role had to do more. 
I, I just feel like, uh, yes. do you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see him up outside of that cafe scene. I don't see Alec Guinness really being superb in this movie. He was cool at the end where he came in the bathrobe and all that sure. stuff. But sure, sure. He yeah. could have been, I think what Josh is saying about Seagal could apply for him. I could have had any number of appropriate British actors or actresses in this role. And I think got, it was for any of the it. roles, to be honest. Yeah, maybe, like, maybe not side out, but I think, but I agree with you. Anyway, I think that the best acting in this film, and this might surprise you, uh, apart from Will Ferrell's father, who deserved a, a supporting actor nomination. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Peter Karsten. Uh, no, I think the best actor in this film for me was Senta Berger. And I, really? I I do. I really think that she was the best. She was, for me, the most interesting thing about it. Let, and, and look, I'll, I'll put it out now, okay? She, she was is, a mystery. She was an enigma. She's an she enigma, was. but she's fiercely attractive. Like, she yeah. is oh, remarkably attractive, <laughs> and she's very seductive, and she's the only woman in the cast. So as a heterosexual male, I read it that way, and I'm aware of the bias, and I'm aware of the male gaze, okay? I'm, Fair. Just, I'm yeah. just saying that right now. And I'm not tricked by any of There was a lot of male of the... gaze shots of her, though. I mean, besides well, putting no. her, like, in the filters, in the, fil- yeah. the, the filters, yeah, but there wasn't yeah. no cleavage shots. There wasn't yeah, no, no behind shots. Like, there was well, nothing sort of, like, no. there wasn't no. really anything, in my opinion, that was seedy about, you know, no. about the filming of her. But look, man, like, in terms of time capsule memorandums, this thing, or time capsule memories... <laughs> this, like, this particular <laughs> memorandum. memorandum. This is... <laughs> This is a snapshot of her at her best. Like she is, you say there's no male gaze. There's not, but there's those cashmere jumpers that she wears. And there's that school teacher um, officiousness. The the officiousness, I was going to say. I imagine imagine so as well. So (laughs) look, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that. Okay, and this is me putting it out there. Okay, I think she's the best thing in acting about the movie. And Here's something else I'm going to say. Outside of Diana Rigg, I think she outclasses all of the 60s Bond girls. Every single Fair. one of them in this movie. Oh, yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. Like, I know I, that... I think that's a very good point. I know that the others might have assets, if we can say that, which are more on show, a little more celebrated. I mean, I think Honor Blackman is great for what she is in the movie, Goldfinger. But I think yeah. Senta Berger, in terms of her acting and her skill as an I actor, I like how they didn't I think she's awesome. Her. I think she's oh, really, true. really strong in this movie. And she's, she's, of course she's beautiful, but she, she's got good lines. She has really, really active eyes. She yeah. searches yeah. in a eyes, lot of scenes. The eyes, even like her face is, is like very, almost like a, mm. a, a it's, almost, it's not a blank slate, but you mm-hmm. can see little reveals, so, sort of. Like, even this, I, you know how I mentioned when Jeff talked about, you know, I said surprise Pikachu face. You yeah. could tell she was surprised when <laughs> she saw him, but she was so utterly cool about it at the same time. And, and that's I that think officiousness a movie, I'm, I'm trying to cite. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lesser movie, to me, would have had her be way more surprised looking than what this film did. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, like, that was pulled off very well. Um, I agree. You also her acting and the writing of her character was strong to me too because how you you, you weren't 100% sure if she mm-hmm. was in on it or not like she's very much like in the femme fatale category so you're suspicious of her just based on the tropes of the genre yes right but but and and you're wondering is she in on it mm-hmm. but then she was at the end of course she was but at the same time she was the only woman in the film yeah, yeah she's the only yeah that's right <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I, I mean, she is for me the the best thing about the acting in the movie. That's yeah, she's point. definitely one that's, of the, of the two point. people that I think are strongest in the film. I totally agree. Yeah, Fonseto is good in what he does. He's yeah. the Lex Luthor of this film. Like, And we'll get to that when we go to atmosphere, because I think that that layer is is a preconception of what Lamont, or not Lamont, um, whoever it is that designed Superman in 78, they go on and Peter Lamont. Because that's yeah. like Lex Luthor. This is Lex Luthor's layer. Let's just say what it is a little bit know? a little bit oh, yeah, yeah. Well, a little without, bit. without the pool but getting without back the to the pool, point yeah and miss testmacher yeah I'm, I'm let's let's just put this thing to sleep um there yeah. are there's a lot of understated acting in this picture and i'm not sure how much of it is deliberate because of what the filmmakers are trying to do it doesn't come across well for me as a as a modern viewer but i appreciate it there's no bad acting in the movie but no. i do no. feel that burger is and She's asked to emote in a way that none of the other actors are, and she delivers it. And I'm holding up my hands here, guys, because I was very ignorant to her her uh, her, her career. And I'm going to go look out more yeah, movies that she's in. Me too. She was in 1965, just a year before this, Major Dundee with Charleston Heston and James Coburn and Richard Harris, I think. That was a Peckinpah film, if I recall. Sounds like a good one. And, and she was the only female in that cast, too. So I think there's a strength that comes from just being able to hold her own, you know, in yeah. those There's very... There's almost like a Sophia Loren kind of vibe to her. Yeah, a little for bit. sure. Yeah, strong, yeah. strong yeah. type, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, look, my, my score for acting, uh, it's it's low because I, I, I... But again, like with my score for story, I don't know how much of it is deliberate. And so I'm going to err on the side of caution, but I'm going to give... I'm going to give credit to the actors and say maybe that's what they were trying to accomplish. But nah, I, I don't believe Alec Guinness when he says he was acting subtly. I just think he was showing up for a paycheck. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go five and a half for my acting. And Senta Berger is, for me, the best thing about the picture. She's the most captivating performance. Hers is, at least. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you, Scott. I went for a five, uh, five money pennies for the acting. Um, I found some of the dialogue, it just didn't match the performances being given uh, by some of the actors. I think that Berger handled the the dialogue for uh, Pinter very well. Um, mm. And she played her character, I think, as should have been intended. And she was directed well to go into the storytelling. Um, Guinness was in his element, but anyone could have played his role. And I do agree yep. that there was an element of where like, some he was very flat. So that phoned mm. in um, point you made yeah, uh, right. qualifies to me. Siegel was charming, and with better direction, I think he could have delivered the lines less stiffly, but he couldn't sell me on the character, and there was a lot of up in the airs with him. I kept wondering, like, this. I guess this goes into the story as well, but especially when he's interacting with Inga, is he trying to simply just be in a, a Lothario, trying to seduce her with BS stories about who he is, and that's how he's trying to sell his character, just being like a Lothario who just right. wants to get with her, and that's why we get some ambiguity in the res response to Inga to his character, because she's very unscrutable. Like, you keep wondering, like, you look at Berger's acting, and you wonder, like, does she buy the shit she's being given by this guy, or... Or does she right. like him? Does she think he's just a brass American mm -hmm. and just does, yeah. and just annoyed by him? And she's being very, very polite about it. And then all of a sudden she says, oh, I would like to go out with you tomorrow. That would be great. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I read her wrong, but maybe she's playing him at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. So, which she was. <laughs> Either or, um, 
like it's it's a bit inscrutable to me, and I I, I had a lot of difficulty with the acting. Von Sydow yeah. was menacingly charismatic as always. Uh, he's always mm-hmm. good, but at the same time, like anyone could have played his role too, right? Same with Guinness. I don't think Von Sydow uh, phoned it in though. I think he did what he was supposed to do. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You know, he he nailed that role perfectly. Um, a different actor, another actor might have maybe brought another level to it. But I think the fact too is that they couldn't really indulge into the pol- the politics behind these characters. They were very thinly sketched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very thinly sketched that's, in that fashion it. that you couldn't quite get an emotional reaction out of these characters. And you were just more fascinated by Berger on screen more than anything else for the obvious reasons, as Scott mentioned, but also just for the terms of like her acting and and uh, and the writing of her character. You know, like I found her the most in- in- intriguing element of the entire film. And of course, the twist at the end depends upon her acting and strength so she was definitely an asset in that film 100 percent. so even though i give the acting five uh that five is based on burger alone if she wasn't in the film i would probably be like four and a half or four Mm. so a failing grade i might even be even considered if i were to reevaluate and maybe i would probably even go up to maybe a six or so for the acting uh just on burger alone and and just the points that that you mentioned really made me think even more about you know her performance and how it elevated it. Mm. Jeff, what about you, buddy? Well, you know it's funny. Um, again, because of of sort of the, the the way it was written and sort of again it's very sort of simple. But there's a and we're trying to read between the lines. Like, that's right. And yeah. is there something to read between? Yeah, exactly. That that's makes the big it question. And, 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 and that's the big question. And you know what? And you guys really made me think about uh, Santa Burger here. Uh, but it's true where she's the only female character and she really was she really played a, a fantastic role in this where again she wasn't just made she wasn't made to just look pretty and be stupid mm-hmm. and just be mm-hmm. sort of a throwaway female character she was the only character and even though she didn't have a lot of lines she was important and also what's important is that we find out like okay she can't just be like the actual you know behind it or or part of this group but she was but it's like at the same time you're like well what were we expecting she's the only person yeah so but what's interesting though like you were saying is that she played it very well and uh, and I mean, she, you know, she played it very, very simple but believable, and 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 every scene that she was in, she really did, uh, uh, she she did a fantastic job. And it's funny because you guys really maybe sort of reevaluate while you guys were describing that because I'm like maybe I didn't give her the time of day. Uh, or as much, um, but uh, I mean, yes, she's she's absolutely strikingly attractive, uh, but that that means that's here and there. I mean, but the the performance that she she showed was excellent. And again, the thing is, is that that's really important because if she's the only female, uh, basically other than the headmistress, uh, it's it's uh, she has an important role to play, mm-hmm. and. And again, with the acting in this film, again, you're right. A lot, most of the roles can just you can sub actors in here and there. I I really did like Guinness, but you're right. But you guys are absolutely right. And I thought the same thing to a point too. Where watching this film, I'm like, I like all of them, but at the same time, I'm like, there's nothing that really stands out. I find with this film, like I like the film, but nothing really stands out in almost any way other than the writing. 
uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and the writing is such an interesting beast because Be- it, it attached, because attached it's to so it. simple yeah. but effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And attached it's, to it are it, all it, these questions of are the actors really doing a kick-ass job with the dialogue and we're just or not are seeing they it. just... Yeah, they phone mm, it yeah, in. It's, it's exactly. really tricky. So I'm, I'm guessing, Jeff, that people who are listening to us and disagreeing with us and are really big fans of this film and the, the performances are obviously siding on that on that mattress that says no. And that's fine. This is... Yeah, totally. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so again, uh, you're right. Like Cynthia Brooker, and I'm I'm definitely going to look into more films uh, with her, uh, as well as also I, I want to look into more uh, of the films that uh, that Anderson had directed because there's quite a few that look really interesting mm-hmm. uh, that I, I have not around the world in eight I, I days. Not, um, well, there's that, but it was also the one that uh, there was one with George Cagney about IRA in the 20s. He did in 1959. Mm. I think it was called Shake Hands with the Devil. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, That's which, a. I, 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 which actually it's a book by Romeo Dallaire. That's the title of a, yeah, yeah, but no, but, that isn't. Um, I'm trying to think of "Shake Hands at the Devil." Oh, "Shout at the Devil." That's a Roger Moore movie, isn't it? "Shout at the Devil." Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, sorry. Did you say George? No, no, you, no. Did you say George Cagney or George Kennedy? No, James. Ca- uh, like James J- Cagney. James, like, James Cagney. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Um, but sorry, but to get back to the acting, like I, I did really enjoy Al Guinness, but I think it's just because like I love Al Guinness and those kind of roles. I just I love his voice, and so I guess I was more sort of just like Charmed. if you just read the phone book, I'd be like, yes, yes. Yeah. But you're right. He again, there was nothing like there was nothing extraordinary about how he did. But I did like it, and I I did like the character. And again, because I found all three of the characters are they're all quite a quagmire. Like, but the biggest issue with me, and again, it, we're all saying the same thing. It's like there wasn't enough backstory for anything. So then again, that leads, which again makes it a very much one of these things where it's very much a conversation piece because then then your mind just kind of goes with the rest. Mm-hmm. Your mind makes up the backstory, which That's sometimes. Right, yeah. It, it is a good thing, yeah, right? Yeah, sometimes then it you're can just kind of like you make you a, over the like, over the edge. Because then, honestly, I it almost took me immediately right out of the film where I'm like, so it's British Secret Service, mm-hmm. or like the Secret Intelligence Service, MI6, and you're calling it an American. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. Like I was just like, I can't handle this right now. But then I was like, okay. And then I, I <laughs> liked, but then I was like, like, if he had a well, British like, father. What? And he lived in the UK. Sure. And, and he's got like double. He's got he's got dual citizenship or makes whatever. Sense to me. Or 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 he yeah. or like he's been you know like I don't know it's enough to go along with. I don't know. Yeah. Or it's revealed that he has a British fine. accent at the end of the film or something like that, yeah, and he's that and he's cool. undercover yeah, as an American. Cool. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I would exactly. I, I would imagine that that Siegel could probably easily do you know receive pronunciation or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Well, he speaks uh, German in the movie. So. Yeah, I don't know if his German was good, but I mean, it, it seemed fine. Well, in the interview I watched, he was talking about learning it, and he was speaking German to the to the guy who was interviewing him. Oh, no, <laughs> so that's probably a good uh-huh. indication. I think he's method um, in that way, like Josh said, he kind of, you know. It's fair. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, Lee Strasberg, um, right? So. Yeah. I, I did actually quite enjoy uh, George Siegel as the character, but again, is Quiller playing a character, Quiller? Or what's he actually like? Like I want to know. Yeah, Quiller like, explain he, what, what he, the persona of what he perceives. Yeah, like did to he to go? People. Did and was he going in talking to Paul and the British as a character? Mm-hmm. Like not sh- like you know what I mean? Like because maybe he's working for another organization that was you know because you know obviously like agencies they all work together like uh, CSIS will work yeah. with uh, MI6 and CIA works with and that's the world building. Uh, you know question. all that kind of stuff, right? So mm. exactly. So so then. 
is Quiller's CIA working? Is with this the, sort yeah. of like a mutual? Totally. You know, so and so. Then my question is: is when he goes, is he sort of playing? Anyways, uh, you know what I'm saying. I know exactly is, what you're saying. Maybe is, the is, SIS is. Uh, maybe they've outcontract or outsourced this guy from a different agency exactly. because he's a safer plug. You know. And so he's playing this character as Quiller. As he's not this person, but he's playing Quiller as this character. And, and he's so then, expendable, and then, too, because he's not British. <laughs> yeah, and, and so... And then there's a know, bunch so, of Americans I, behind I who are puppet mastering behind. him. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so who knows? Yeah, yeah so who knows? But yeah, I, did, I did, I did, I <laughs> did... There you go. Uh, there you go. Um, and But anyway, so I liked him, and I did... I sort of appreciated how he was sort of just very blunt, like... He would ask silly questions, like... Who or like you know it's like oh the guy or like you just have like these mm-hmm. sort of funny answers, and, and just sort of like really blunt questions or, or and I was like so that's a really dumb qu- or like that's a really forward question but then I'm like maybe that's just sort of off putting maybe that gets their guard down like is this guy like they know like this guy's a spy and he's asking these black and white questions like he's not even you know I was like what and then does that put their guard down like what's going on here right so that's why I, I did appreciate. Seagull in the character, but again, nothing to write a home about, um, I guess. Um, and Sido, I did, I did enjoy. Like I, I was, I liked him. But, um, I, I thought he was good, and obviously, he always has kind of a commanding performance in whatever he's in. So again, he's, it's like the, I, I keep saying this, like him, and if you have like you know, uh, Christopher Lee, they just read the phone book, you know, I'd buy a ticket. Yeah. So. He was good in the role, and I, I I appreciate it. But again, nothing to write home about. So, I keep saying that. But uh, my acting, I, I say six. And you're right. And if we go back to Santa Berger, she was great. Again, with she had not that many lines, but the lines that she had and the way that she portrayed the character, and because she was playing us so close to the chest, and she didn't really give away anything in regarding of if she, was she a spy? Is she a spy? She was a spy. Was she a spy? Like it's she did a really good job. Mm-hmm. It, it was fun to see that, and uh, so I'm gonna say six. And and I've I, I really teeter tottered through <laughs> since you guys have been speaking. Uh, I kind of teeter tottered. I kind of landed at six. That that might be higher than I should give, but uh, that's where I'm staying at Go with for what now. You but feel, again, man. Go with what you no, no, I know, I know that. And um, I mean, like again, my score isn't that high. I did enjoy the film, but at the same time. When I watched it, I was like, it's super underwhelming. But at the same time, I also... That doesn't mean I didn't like it. But uh, and, I, mm-hmm. and again, like I said before, as a whole, I found this, uh, this film um, sort of very much not a Bond film, which was also refreshing, but still espionage. Right. And Good. I think that's a nice segue into the atmosphere about finding it not a Bond yeah. film. Exactly. So let's, let's yep. just move on to the atmosphere then. I'll be really quick through this, guys, just to yep. wrap, wrap yep, my bits too. up. This whole thing felt like it was like a television program, like a really good episode yep. of The Saint or something, you know, that was kind of stretched yeah. long. Yeah, and, you're right. That's a good point. Part of, yep. part of yes. that's the aesthetic fabric of the, fabric of the 60s and the Pinewood mm-hmm. stuff. I get that. I totally get that. And I appreciate that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the tightness of the setting, the tightness of the story, it all kind of lends itself to, to that, that episodic feel. Exactly, Josh. Um, but I, I really like the way the the city of Berlin was featured as a character in the story. Like, you know, the Kaiser Wilhelm church standing, like in contrast to the cityscape around it, that urban cityscape. Now, I mean, I've been there to Berlin. I've seen, I I actually had to meet a group of kids at that, at that site. So I'm, I'm, (laughs) I remember being in and around that, 
that church and it's a remarkable remarkable signifier in the city but it stands out i think almost symbolic in this story is like that sort of blackness that's in this redeveloping world right you've got you've got the post the post-war germany that's building its industry its economy and its its european influence and you've Capitalism, still got that yeah still got that gothic well i mean i use the word gothic very loosely here but that sort of gothic i, I know what you mean dark nazi yeah. stuff that's kind of floating around old german right? old germany exactly yeah yeah well yeah okay uh, and they even called Kaiser Wilhelm, which I mean, I know, yeah. before Versailles, right? Yeah, of so course, there you go. Course. But it's that villainous dark ob- obelisk, isn't it? That's sort of there in that yeah. growing city, which yep. is meant to represent the Nazi, that neo-Nazi threat. So I like the way that the production design brings that in. Mm. And sure. it is, it, it's nice to see these buildings as sort of art deco, the interiors, the school, that sort of stuff that is throughout this growing Berlin. It is not a film that in but by, by any stretch of the imagination i think beats down upon the german society or or paints it no. itself in any no, way but really. a positive cosmopolitan view i i like that about it now which is probably why they were very light on the nazi stuff in this story yeah. like you know like they really yeah, cut out the racial uh the racism did, yeah. part of the nazis and they just mm-hmm. mostly just said oh well the nazis those were the bad guys we fought in world war ii right so mm-hmm. that's as far as they went in terms of politicizing they didn't need to like at this point like everyone knows like you don't exactly. need Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like but beating a dead horse. In like, a modern again. film version of this, well, though, no, yeah. that would be touched on 100%. It would be. Totally. Yes, it yeah. would, because so much but time. again, is... a modern film is now like 55 <laughs> years <laughs> later. Yeah. Right? So it's a little different. Yeah. That's the thing. If also, society is way different uh, now than it, than it was back then, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, what else can I say about the atmosphere? Uh, I, like I was saying about Berlin, I think that the, the production team, I don't know whether it was Maurice Carter who did the art direction or not, but just kind of the way you've got a lot of these shots with like the regimented youth, things that are subtle. And I think I'm going to rewatch this movie because I've got it on Blu-ray now. I'm going to rewatch it to see how these things, maybe I missed the first couple times around where I was watching it for this purpose. I'm going to go back and just sort of aesthetically soak it up again and see if there's a yes. bit more cleverness to this. But um, because, you know, Maurice Carter was nominated for Beckett in 65 and for Anne mm. of a Thousand Days a few years from now. So there's obviously a real clever touches in this movie. So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back and look at it. But, you know, the bombed ruins of the Chinese embassy being the Nazi layer, I think that's really cool. Good use of setting there, you know, that yes. the Anderson, he selected that space because it, it offered that sort of chiseled out, bombed out sort of, as you guys said, the mausoleum, uh, the manse look. Yes. But it's actually yeah. the embassy. Barry's score, it, Barry's score is all right. Um, it's serviceable yeah. here in a very diegetic and non-diegetic way because you've got that Wednesday's um, Wednesday's yeah. Child theme uh, is used. Child? It's used thematically through the orchestra, but also it's used yeah. in radios and you hear it within cafes and stuff. So yeah. it's interesting. There's lots of neat stuff going on here. The filters we've already talked about and how yeah. seductive they are and, and kind of encouraging us to read the character in a certain way. Maybe it's a little too heavy handed with, with Santa Berger's character because she turns out to be, um, you know, more of an antagonist in a sense. But yes. You know, I, I, I like the, the structural aspect of the aesthetics too, with, as I said, you know, Jones at the beginning, and then there's then there's uh, Quiller himself at, towards the end doing the same walk and the same tunes. And I mean, it's it's a good film. I love that explosion. I thought it was really good. The two special yeah, effects guys. Um, who are the special effects guys? I wrote their names down here somewhere. Um, yeah, here they are. Uh Arthur Beavis and Les Bowie, the only two special effects guys named on the unit. That's a properly big explosion in the garage, and it's really well filmed. So yeah. cool, cool for them. Yep. And I don't know if you guys they did noticed. A good job. 
I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when he goes back to the hotel and, you know, they've obviously been there looking through his stuff, he goes right to the telephone. Home, yeah. You see the telephone that's open on the oh, wall? Yeah, it's all ripped up. How the, yeah. how the two bells that are inside look like eyes of like the, some Dali surrealist painting. It's a really, really neat thing. <laughs> I know it's something weird about that. that. that cool. Yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, cool. So I think for me, the atmosphere is the strongest part of the film. Um, mm-hmm. And I went for a seven and a half with the atmosphere because it's a fun movie to watch. It, it for me at least, never got boring to look at. No. Even though the understated performances and the very subtle script um, yeah. kind of led you to think that the characters maybe aren't doing as much as they really are. And the repetitiveness I, of the script too. Like, just yeah. like, wow, Bosley yeah. Crother mentions like, okay, so uh, October says, uh, put him to sleep and then kill him. But then he wakes up and he's alive. Mm-hmm. Then he yeah. easily escapes from them. And then he gets led back to them to go across the street. And then he's back into the house again. To me, like, there's a lot of anti-script script writing 101 in that particular film. But Pinter's not, you know, associated with that sort of type of screenwriting. He's more into into his Brechtian sort of, you know, anti-establishment type of screenwriting yes, that he's good indeed. at. Yeah, plus so, I, don't, I, I don't think that anybody... I don't think he... he yeah, like, if someone read his script, I can see Pinter going, yes, I see where you're coming from, but... That's where the story is going, and that's mm-hmm. you know it does what it has to do for the plot. And but I'm more interested in getting these characters refined and 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 putting these little subtleties in here to tell my story in a, in a way that I want to tell it. Yeah. So I can see him coming from that position. Right. So anyway, my, my my score overall was what was it? I said seven and a half. Yeah, I went seven and, seven and a half. half. And I'm I'm yeah. pleased with that. It might be a little generous, but I f- did feel like this was an outstanding part of the story, even if that outstandingness yes. doesn't lead to full marks or full money pennies for me. And overall. I would just say in, in closing my scoring of, uh, of this film that my scores might be lower, but I do think this is a film that's really cool. And it, it, I'm going to go back yes. and look at it again. I'm not going to change mm-hmm. my scores, but I think we're all probably going to say something similar, regardless of what you guys do with Atmosphere, which is that, you know, the score might look low, but it's a movie that's definitely worth watching. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's Especially if you're into yeah. the spy genre and you just want yeah, to get... Totally. Dive something back different. into the world. It, it, something different. Something different. It's not a Bond film. Exactly. That way. And, and seeing how, like, possibly the potential, you know, in making stories like this could work out. Which is kind of got, after seeing this film, I was thinking about, you know, that series is coming out uh, with um, Dominic Cooper. Uh, there's, like, this spy yeah, series exactly. that's set in the exactly. 60s coming out with Dominic Cooper. So I'm, I'm actually really pumped for that show now. Yeah. It's just, just on the basis of watching the Quiller Memorandum going like, you know what? That Cooper series might actually be like something like this, but on a much better level. So that got me really pumped for that. So kudos to that. Um, I was generous. Actually, no, I don't think I was generous. I think I was very fair. Um, I believe the atmosphere is what really brought me over the top of this film. It will make me recommend it. It'll make me rewatch it. And I gave atmosphere an eight. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, I loved how West Berlin was captured on camera, the wide shots, the tracking shots, the point of view at the camera in the car, the -hmm. use of sound design, all of that was so well done. As Scott was talking about the juxtaposition of the old and modern Germany, you know, with the church, for example, the old, I like the old mansions and estates, you know, like those were, as as you mentioned, those old buildings from like pre-World War, pre-Cold War, during World War II, the old German buildings, like they were it was the ruins of those buildings where the phoenix organization was hiding and i also liked how for example the spies that are supposedly you know 
working against Phoenix, uh, like the British, for example, their base was in like the hollow constructions <laughs> of the yeah. new capitalist Germany, Euro Germany, yeah. that was arising out mm-hmm. of this, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of like that. Not hiding. Right I, out I like there. That like, op- hi, we're right here in the Telus building. What's up? <laughs> we're spies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I kind of like that, like, sort of like, yeah, it's a capitalist free society, Germany, but really... From the towers above, that you're that you know that's uh, representing you, your new capitalist, new modern Germany. The there there is an imperial power still in control, American British conglomerate or whatever that is. And then at the very bottom, like in the bowels, hidden underneath the surface, in, in, in the basements <laughs> of old manses, is Phoenix. You know the the future return, the return of you know the old Germany. So I did like that juxtaposition, that's a, that's a good that point. dynamic. I thought that was really cool for the atmosphere. But yeah, like sound design, the lighting in the stocking sequence that led up to the car bomb, uh, just the direction of that sequence too. Like I just loved how like he, he so he's going to he's going to detach the bomb. Is he going to leave it in there and and uh, escape, or is he, go, is he going to throw the bomb at his captors? What's he going to do? Yeah, he turns yeah. the engine on. He puts it on the bonnet and then allows the vibrations to give him enough time to escape. And the tension of just him like breaking the lock yeah. and trying to get out because <laughs> totally. he, he yeah. was still in danger even after defusing yeah. the bomb. That was really because good. he took a gamble and wanted to fake his death so that he could evade them. So I just really like the spycraft. I know that goes into the story, but to me, it's part of the atmosphere as well. I don't know. That's a good um, point. the editing, the the lighting, the camera work, the storytelling in a way contributes to the atmosphere. And I think this was the strongest part of the movie. Uh, so, and this makes me want I think to, it had to be. rewatch it. So, atmosphere cool. eight money pennies out of ten. Nice. Mm. Well, you, you sold me on that. Um, and you know what? It's funny because I, I didn't necessarily give the atmosphere that high, high of a mark, but I did. I did. I did adjust it accordingly. But you're right. Like the the atmosphere is important, especially with like a film, especially when you're dealing with. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at contemporary. Germany at the time and and, and the the topic. Mm-hmm. So and they did a good job of not really showing a lot of the old Germany, but showing sort of like the new. And they, and they couldn't show the East Block, right? For obvious reasons. No, they yeah. couldn't. But, but 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 even if you look at the interiors, like yeah, okay, so like the, the dilapidated hotel looked old, but her apartment was new. Mm-hmm. The school was new. The veneer uh, that she's hiding under, right? Yeah. Uh, the I mean, I guess maybe the swimming pool was. Old, it looked like old, that, didn't that, it? It looked kind of Turkish uh, or something. Kind of. Yeah. Be- because, yeah, because that was of the definitely a throwback. It almost looked like a bathroom or something like, like that. Like, right? you can picture, yeah. like, the German athletes, you know, like, the, art, the yeah. you know, during that the Berlin yeah. 36 Olympics. Totally. It was probably used, that pool was but used I, or something I, like that. I, and I think, in regarding the atmosphere, I think that's maybe where they started, like, after. Like after the the opening scene, then you go to the, uh, the the Olympic Stadium. Then you kind of show the old. Like then you're going really because it almost feels like you're looking at like a Roman amphitheater. But it, yeah, you know, and, and so I think you're starting with Ronin, like as we mentioned. And so like yeah. now exactly yeah. So the atmosphere is important, and I think they did a good job of it. I mean, especially with like sort of how the characters are portrayed, and like atmosphere is always important, and. Was like the way we were describing the characters and how it works and, and how it was shot. It was shot very well. Again, there's nothing like really like I keep saying nothing to write home about. It's all very sort of linear. But again, like I think you, Josh, what you had mentioned about the 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 scene with the car bomb that was and and, and before that with the uh, trying to uh, evade the the Phoenix agents that was all very well shot. 
Uh, and the most exciting part of the film, obviously, because there was actually a chase scene and an explosion. Yes. But before, we didn't have any of that. And and so it's funny because you're like, wow, that was actually... I, it's almost like, could you have had more of that, please? Yeah, the, exactly. The car chase was a very underwhelming but realistic and well-shot chase scene. The, and again, the sound effects were excellent. Like that, that was the thing that kept me into the car chase. Was it was the engine sounds yes. and, and and that, and I thought it was very well done. And I like the so, end of that sequence too, where like the the I loved the, the traffic light, and then they pull up, yeah, and then, they, and then they just pull up and push him over. Like it's like it's perfect. Like yeah. I, I also like how they they use the POV of him, sort of like the camera shot of him, like not necessarily being entirely knocked out, but just being almost paralyzed and just being drugged and and kind of having that you know that that POV shot of him, yeah. like it, it wasn't even like a Dutch angle it. either. It, it was or it swirly kind of you know like no. 1940s guy gets knocked out, you know, like in a in a yeah. Marlowe adaptation kind of thing. But uh, so I, I I did enjoy I like that so the and the atmosphere was was well done like it, again you kind of still feel like oh there's something here like it's like the you know like the burning embers of like a a fire being like Germany and and so there's something there but it's not overwhelmingly like ominous mm-hmm. but there's yes. something there yeah it's not in which your face I think, yeah w- no and, and and that's and 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 that that's good that's what you want I think in these kind of films and I think that's so cheerful I, th- I love that I, uh, ju- juxtaposition between what's going on and the cheerful modern Berlin right mm-hmm. yeah exactly you see the yeah, and and so, but I but I like that because you always kind of with these kind of films, especially at the time, you kind of have to show both, right? Because you're like, look, it's building up, and you're, this is on the other side of the wall, but it, you're, they're trying to portray that it's on the other side of the wall, but it's you know you're like, yeah, there's still sunshine, there's still people playing, there's still kids, but then you also have to say like, look, look what's going on. There's like you know uh, the current political climate, but also there's that thread of like. Uh, a neo-Nazi or or another political party trying to to you know uh, you know um, take take hold of what of what they want and, and 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 you know build themselves back up. So the atmosphere, even though like I'm saying all this, I did give the atmosphere seven, which I did. I actually, I just changed <laughs> while you guys were talking. You <laughs> sold me on on bumping up a bit, um, but the atmosphere is a very important part of this film, and uh, and I, so that's that's the way I'm going to. I'm going to give it a seven. And again, with my overall score, once we we tally them up, it, it doesn't mean that I I didn't like this film. Like my, I, I think I feel like with all of our, our our full scores, are not necessarily how we overall think of the film. It's like we we gave it a number, but we all appreciate the film. Uh, to an extent because of what it is you know what i mean mm-hmm. yes yeah and, and that's what's important about this film and i think that's what we should sort of convey to our to our audience it's like don't just go by our numbers watch it for yourself it's gonna definitely um make you want to talk about it yeah and i think that's the most that's important right. thing about a film or a book it's like hey this is definitely a conversation piece mm-hmm. and that's if that's what it meant to do then it definitely right. definitely then i would have to give it a, a full 20 in money pennies but if we're going by individual scores like what we we're doing and how we score it this is how we scored it mm. and i don't think again i'm going by myself here is even though my my numbers are, are fairly low it doesn't mean that i don't appreciate yeah. this film for what it is and it has aged well i mean i think this is a movie that does age well Actually, because yeah, it did. because it did of the subtlety well. yeah. because there's so much that is understated it it is it, it's not timeless there are features of it that are dated but well, yes. it it works well as an espionage film because it doesn't say so much or 
act so much that places it in a time and space. You know, it doesn't hit you over the head with stuff, and that's that's yeah. the thing I yeah. like. The I like of it. I like yes. espionage films. Maybe two stuff again. Like uh, <laughs> well, I, I, Josh, Josh, made sorry, a good he's on point. the phone. Like, he, I, he can't come to the show right now. Yeah, he's phoning yeah. in something. Um, but, but I think Josh his horse ghost point. just showed up and uh, <laughs> and made a comment at me. A certain point of view. Okay, Obi Wan, I get it. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I really like those sort of um, more cerebral espionage thriller so i'm i am like like josh was saying i'm super excited for that that new show coming out with dominic uh cooper uh and and so that's that's actually one reason why when i i looked up the quiller uh memorandum and saw sort of what it was about and saw a trailer i was like yeah i I definitely want to watch this i think this would be a good fit because it wasn't huge and explosions and and bikinis and 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 whatever it was just sort of straight, straight ahead and a more a little more realistic. So I, I like seeing that realistic kind of tradecraft. Like, you know, how do you how do you lose a spy in a group of people? How do you mm-hmm. how do you get the information? What information do you get? What what's your what kind of um, cover are you using? Like all that kind of stuff. I think this film did that quite well for what it, it showed us. I think it it definitely passed with flying colors in that. Yeah. And I and I think you've made an awesome choice to to start off our series. I think this was a, an inspired selection, and I think that the three non-bonds for this season has really got off to a good start with your selection of the Quiller Memorandum. And just to echo what you and Josh have already said, we are recommending this film, and we think that there's a lot in it that you're, that you're going to enjoy, everybody. So thank you for, uh, for tuning in and, and taking part in this little show with us. We've, we've had fun talking about this one, Double O Chapman. Yes, yes, we have. We sure have. And in line with that, and in keeping with our film festival, our three non-bond festival, the next film that we're going to look at is my choice. Am I right, guys? It's my choice. It's your choice now. So, yeah. yeah, I get the All last right. one. All right, superb. Well, excited to see what you have in store for us. Well, guys, between now and our next episode... There not be a Rita Coolridge <laughs> Well, <laughs> hang on a second. got to scratch that off my list here. Right, okay. Right, well, my second choice then. My second choice. <laughs> I'm going to ask... I joke, of course... We're going to stay in the same theme, my friend. We're going to stay in the same theme, and we're also going to stay in the same era. And what I've decided for this year, last year, uh, went for the Iger sanction. This year, I'm going to go back a little bit more. And keeping with the Cold War, we're going to look at Alfred Hitchcock's Torn Curtain. Now, this is a film that I have seen before, and it isn't one of Hitchcock's finest in terms of critical reception or even in terms of kind of fan favorites, but it's a movie from 1967 that I really want to explore with you guys and the community. I'm sure we'll get a lot of good feedback on this one as well because it... um, it's it's a film with a, a really interesting story, both production-wise and, I mean, plot-wise. I won't say any more about it now, but Alfred Hitchcock's Torn Curtain is the uh, the Cold War thriller that I'm going to I'm going to ask that we read, hey. and I'm going to present for the three non-bonds. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Okay, Sounds good to me, man. So that's your next assignment, Double O's. All right, good. And once again, I'd just like to thank everybody for tuning in and, um, and, and hopefully you'll go away and enjoy the Quiller Memorandum and uh, maybe between now and then our next episode you'll have a chance to watch Hitchcock's Torn Curtain for our second, what, what do you call it? Second uh, selection. Our second selection. selection. I guess it's a selection. In the yeah, three, non, in the three non-bond festival, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
In the meanwhile, let us know what you thought of the Quiller Memorandum. Send us an email at bondbynumbers3 at gmail.com or respond to our feeds at Instagram and let us know and get some conversation going about that. We'd love to know whether you and think... And Facebook too. And Facebook, yeah, Facebook as like well. like us. Yeah, whether, whether you think that this is an understated film that works or an understated film that misses the point uh, or whether it was misunderstood by audiences and critics. Let us know what you think about it because it's a movie that's still being talked about as I think our show is evidence of and also if you want to put your opinions on what you think about the uh, Amazon purchase of MGM and what that means for the Bond future let us know your thoughts on that too yeah yeah absolutely okay guys it's always a pleasure sitting down on a Saturday and talking Bond or in this case not Bond non Bond with you that's oh good night everybody later cheerio cheerio